Yeah, good morning, everyone. Julian King with you. And is it is that right, Al? <clears throat> Only three more sleeps until Christmas? I hope you've been nice. I hope you've been nice. It is great to have your company on SEN 1170 in Sydney, SENQ 693 in Brisbane, SEN 1620 on the Gold Coast, and anywhere across the globe via the SEN app. Now, I need your help on the program today. The open line number, open for business. We got a prize. Can we can we muster up a prize? A nice little stocking fill up for our listeners just uh, prior to Christmas. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy and the text line oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Damien Fleming is going to join us, head of the Boxing Day Test. SEN track analyst Chris Nelson will be here as well, and a few other bits and bobs throughout the course of the show this morning. Look, I, I can promise you this: this is my festive season guarantee that I will not be spending the first hour of the show talking about the fortunes of the Geelong Cats and the Richmond Tigers in the AFL next year. You have, I, I solemnly swear I will not talk about the Geelong Cats and the Richmond Tigers and how they're going to go for season 2023. Promise. Now, to the issue that has dominated the back pages this week, of course, the, the A-League Melbourne mob. I saw this in the Herald. That police have identified now 21 people, 21, including the man who appeared to throw a trolley. 13 have been charged following that violent pitch invasion at the Melbourne Derby Saturday night at, at Amy Park. It's called Operation Astute. And our update comes as Football Australia Chief Executive James Johnson, who's been very impressive throughout this whole saga, says that the governing body is preparing to dish out life bans to up to 10 more people. Handed out two yesterday, and now life bans to up to 10 more people. So Melbourne Victory submitted its response to a show cause notice from Football Australia as to why it shouldn't face serious sanctions over fan behaviour. And the FA is working now on what sanctions will be issued. So the process, or the statement read, Football Australia understands the importance of swift action. However, it will take whatever time necessary to work through this submission before determining what sanctions will be imposed. So victory now next scheduled to play Boxing Day night. That is an away game at Amy Park. And that's against another Melbourne team, reigning champs, Western United. I'll credit James Johnson here. Swift action is what's needed, but he's been cautious about it as well because you want to get it right. Swift action is what we're getting. And this is very good PR for the FA. I don't think I can say the same thing about the APL. Now, David Warner. You know, it's funny. I don't think there's a more polarising figure in Australian cricket. There probably isn't than David Warner. Almost Australian sport. Nobody sits on the fence when it comes to D Warner. Either love him or hate him. Whether it's captaincy bans, whether it's form, doesn't matter what it is. Well, his batting coach, Warner's batting coach, insists that there has not been an Australian cricketer as fit at the age of 36 as Dee Warner. And further to that, says he hasn't shown the same decline as Ricky Ponting did in his twilight years. I speak of Trent Woodhill. He's a smart man. I've spoken to Trent a number of times uh, on the network. He's a batting coach, as we know, to, to several of the greats of the game. And he's watched him closely. He said, look, I haven't seen any decline in Warner's footwork or hand-eye coordination. And this is a despite a, a lean run with the bat, as we know, Restricted him to an average of less than 21 in 10 tests this year. Hasn't scored 100 for a couple of years. Career average now dropped below 46. It's 45 and a half. Now, he's worked with Warner through the recent series at home against England, including a one-on-one session at Adelaide Oval before Warner made 86. Warner reached three figures in the final ODI at the MCG. So his one-day form in those meaningless one-days against England was good. So he was seeing him well, he was hitting him well. And he said, I was expecting to have to spend a bit of time with him. He was moving great. His feet were good, late contact with the ball. And, yeah, we understand these things are a fine line, and he watches him closely. 
He said, I kept a, a close eye on the first 20 balls in tests. I'm not seeing anything wrong. Because a lot of people, myself included, have been guilty on this, are drawing comparisons to the twilight of Ricky Potting's career. But he said, you know, they're poles apart in terms of how they're seeing the ball and how they're playing. I have a lot of respect for Trent Woodhill as coach or as a coach. Because do you recall, it was Warner again that was struggling in the lead up to the last T20 World Cup, not the one here in Australia, the one in the UAE that the Aussies won. Remember at the start, he was sadly out of form. He noticed a few things. Got him practicing with a tennis ball. Spoke to him on the phone. Next thing you know, uh, Warner exploded. He has a keen eye. He's keen eye. I'm backing Warner to score 100 for the series. Is out. I'm putting it out on the line today. Warner will score 100 either in Melbourne or Sydney. I'm calling it. As for Ponting, though, it's one of my lasting memories in recent times in cricket. One of the saddest things I've seen is him sort of spread eagled on the turf after being skittled by you know, the medium pace, and that's been generous of Jacques Callis. This is horrible to see. And Ponting, I mean, career average 51.85, brilliant, 168 tests. He averaged 33 or less in six of his final seven series. And then that final campaign against South Africa, 6.4. His footwork had certainly betrayed him. I don't think Warner is on such a steep decline, but I guess only time will tell. 0457 736 736. Now, uh, Channel 9, as Ben Horn is reporting, has emerged as a shock 11th hour contender to reclaim cricket's TV rights as Channel 7's hopes fade. So maybe we'll hear the, the wide world of sports theme again. That'd be nice. Can you imagine? You say Channel 9 News in Sydney still have, you know, Peter Harvey 9 News, sort of as, as the godfather of the newsroom. Can you imagine Channel 9 getting cricket again and just introduced by Richie Benno? Wouldn't that be something? So it's understood Cricket Australia bosses remain nervous about taking the plunge and partnering with Channel 10. I think it's worthy of a plunge if it gets ODI cricket from out behind the paywall. You know they're going to be backed in. I can't see Paramount taking the same legal course as Channel 7. Because at the moment they're challenging their agreement with Cricket Australia at the federal court because they said, you know what, you oversold the Big Bash. So the talks with nine, as we know, they were partners of cricket for 40 years indicate that they would perhaps cooled on re-entering a new arrangement with existing free-to-wear partner Channel 7, who, as you know, is currently suing them in the federal court. So Paramount, they remain the leading bidder with a reported offer of $1.5 billion. But they've got a few concerns about the ailing performance of 10 as a network. And this is, of course, compared to, to 9 and 7, who rate a lot better. They're worried about Paramount's reach as a streaming service compared to Fox Sports and KO Sports. Reasonable concerns, reasonable. And one of the main hitches in a deal being done with Paramount is also the concerns about the reliability of the streaming app service. And we've heard from A-League fans about how unreliable this service is, how much work needs to be done to bring it up to par with some of the other high-quality streaming services that we know. But anyway, Paramount and Taylor, don't worry about that. We're promising new technology. We don't know yet. It's untested. They're going to have to promise new technology. And that's what Packard did. Packard said, you know what? More cameras at the ground. Uh, let's film it from both ends. Hadn't been done. Wasn't that revolutionary? And the other issue that they have about partnering with Paramount and 10 is reach. Is reach. So 7 and 9, I mean, they're the leading free-to-air networks by a long way compared to 10. And their numbers show they're in danger of dropping below a 20% rating share. And so they know already that 9 and 7, they've seen what they can do with sport. So it's a safe bet in that respect. Do they want the money, though? 
do they want the money? Fox Sports KO have a reputation as sports leaders. Oh, you know what? We should get somebody on the program to talk about that can explain this in more detail, the dangers and the pitfalls of signing with Tenet Paramount. Because you see the upside, what's the down, downside? Because they're lukewarm about partnering up with them. Is it all about money? Well, evidently, it's not all about money. They knocked back the 10 bid last time. But at the cost of what? One day cricket behind a paywall. This is the issue, right? These things are very, very complicated. Very complicated. And there could be complications with how Nine and Fox Sports and News Corp could come to an arrangement giving the, I guess, competing interests of Stan and KO and respective newspaper groups. And this is the other thing that hasn't been talked about. People assume, oh, yeah, free to air, anti-siphoning. But Channel 9 have Stan, Channel 10 have Paramount. So you might say, oh, okay, well, they've got the rights, but they could still bury it behind their own paywall through their streaming services. That is a current loophole in the anti-siphoning laws, and that's being addressed at the moment. Bottom line is this, and we saw the issue that they had in England when they put all cricket behind a paywall. Participation dived. When it was at its peak, that magnificent 2005 Ashes series, that's when it should be on public display. People were engaged in the game. They put it behind a paywall. The participation numbers fell off a cliff. That is the problem that they have if they're hiding forms of cricket behind a paywall. One day cricket on its deathbed, some would say. I think all forms need to be on free-to-air. One day cricket, as I said, needs to come out from behind a paywall, and that is the advantage of buddying up with Tennant Paramount. And it's a very lucrative bid offer. Crazy big bash last night. Did you see this? A hat trick to Michael Neeser across two overs. Across these things can be easy to miss. But the Renegades triumphed. They were four for nine at one stage. It's a modest total, 138 they were pursuing. But if you're bowling four for nine, you're thinking, oh, okay, I reckon we're a red-hot chance here. I wonder what the Winvis stats would have said. What do you reckon they would have said? Having said that, there's a reason the man known as Dre Russ has been so sought after over the years. Because Andre Russell, arguably the greatest finisher in T20 history. Arguably the greatest finisher in T20 history. And he was superb, Andre Russell. Absolutely superb. 57 of 42. Six sixes. Six sixes. So the strike rate of 135 was actually pretty modest by his lofty standards. But six sixes, that'll do it for you. So well done to the Renegades. And Aaron Finch, 31 off 43, subdued, knocked by the captain, but he's got 100 runs in his last two digs, including a man-of-the-match performance. They're happy for the men, very happy for Finchy. Look, most of you know I'm a Dragons fan. This was a big issue on Breakfast with Jimmy and Joe this morning. Michael Carianis and The Telegraph had that story about this, this member's survey. Now, I'm going to put my hand up here. Jimmy was stunned when he found out I wasn't a member. I, I didn't renew my membership the last couple of years. I have my reasons. My son, hopefully, he's not listening, but he's getting his kids' membership for his birthday in a couple of weeks' time. I might have to, but so so I miss this. I miss this. But I know plenty of Dragons members. It's you know a couple of general questions, member surveys, sort of buried in there. Oh, how'd you feel about a name change? Maybe disassociating ourselves with Illawarra. A couple of other. Hang on, what? This rewind. I'll just just double take on this. Uh, are you serious? For what it's worth. Name changes, logo changes are absurd, cannot happen, will not happen. And if you're a Sir George at the moment, right, so you've got access to that massive nursery of talent, but it's effectively your team. You ask any Illawarra fan. I remember years ago it was Andrew Denton on, it might have been the Triple M, and he was 
pushing against South Sydney merging. Spent a couple of years out of the comp, and then here they are, pride of the league once more. And he said to an Illawarra fan, how do you feel about having your socks running around in the competition? And he sort of say it tongue-in-cheek, but he wasn't entirely wrong. The, the point of what he was saying is, well, this is all you get out of it. Where is your club's identity? And now they don't even have their socks. St. George, Illawarra, Dragon, they look like the Dragons. You go to the grounds, what are they cheering? St. George, St. George. Leave the merger as it is. Because it saved both clubs back in 1999. You may have a different opinion. Happy to hear from Dragons fans today on the text line 0457 736 736. And I want to take your calls as well. one 1170 The Dragons name change. Do you want an unmerge? Can you see a name change? Can you see a logo change? We had the Sydney Tigers, the Sydney Bulldogs, Sydney Roosters, Sydney City Roosters. Still call them Easts. Bulldogs had a logo change. Remember the Eels had a logo change. People are traditionalists. This is why they love their team. This is why they love their game. You're in a fast-paced, ever-evolving world. They like to stick with what they know. Be very careful about doing these sorts of things because you can undo decades, hundreds of years of history in the process. News Corp today have listed their top 100 sports stars. You know, you always see these lists, don't you, at this time of the year? It's a bit quiet, waiting for the Boxing Day tests. Brisbane finished early. A little bit of rugby league news, not a hell of a lot. Okay, Latrell and... Cody and Cookie re-signed for South. It's great news for the, the red and green. But what else is happening? You know what? We need to fill some column inches. Let's do our top 100. Top 100. We might run through that today. I'll get your thoughts on that too. Suffice to say, Ben Stokes, the England captain, was number two. Number two. I'm a big admirer of Ben Stokes as a cricketer, but you can't tell me out of all the sports people on the planet today that he's ranked second. You know, so what's the criteria? Okay, is it about influence and impact? I get that. And people are fawning over baseball. Clearly, they didn't see Travis Headbat in the last Tasher series, did they? So we'll go through that today. Fox Sports, I didn't get a chance to mention this yesterday. Had a look at some of the opening options. Say Warner's to fall over tomorrow. Uh, who are you picking? Are you picking Marcus Harris? Are you picking Bancroft again? It's been a reasonable form. Renshaw, Bryce Street. Some have suggested maybe open with Travis Head, maybe open with Cam Green. So if water falls over tomorrow, who's going to open the batting for Australia? There's stacks to talk about. And the Gabba, of course, got the below average rating, the Gabba, after the two-day test. I mean, I thought some of the reaction was way, way over the top, way over the top. Yeah, it was green. It didn't bake. I get that. And they thought it would sort of flatten out. And this is the thing about Brisbane. Because they expect so much heat, so they leave a bit in it early. So they say first session or first two sessions, day one, bend the back, you get reward. That eventually becomes a beautiful wicket to bat on. We didn't see that evolution. But it was some pretty ordinary batting. Can you send somebody out, send the investigators out to find what happened to the footwork of the South Africans in the second innings, please? Because no one could find it. No one could find it. Drop in pitches now as a result of that. This issue has read its ugly head again. Because at the moment, uh, only two grounds don't have drop-ins. That's the Sydney Cricket Ground and the Gabba. Is it time to look at a drop-in pitch, Sydney or Brisbane? I've got to say, you know, Adelaide, which always had traditionally the, the reputation of being the, the baddest paradise in turns on day five, their drop-in pitch has been pretty good. Perth's as well. Because the whack of the reputation of being hard and fast and bouncy. And, and they've done very well, I must say, in trying to replicate that reputation that... Perth has had over the years. And yeah, I know they don't play at the Wacker anymore, but you know, still the characteristics of pitches over in the West. And then Melbourne, which used to be an absolute Barry Crocker. You remember that Ashes 2017, 
where Cook got the double hundred, Warner got a hundred, Smith got a hundred. Uh, that could have gone for ten days and you had no result in that test. It was probably the one of the worst test pitches I've ever seen. And that was a drop in. So is it time to look at a drop in pitch in Brisbane and in Sydney? If not, why not? Dragon's name changes. And David Warner's decline. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. That is the open line number and the text line. Text me now, 0457. 736-736. Julian King in the chair on SEN Mornings. That, of course, was the classic Channel 9 cricket theme, but the, the more souped-up modern version. You know, it's a bit sort of revved up, isn't it? But, you know, all the talk about Channel 9 maybe being a player. Maybe the cricket will go back to Channel 9. Of course, they partnered with Cricket Australia for the good part of 40 years. But that was the soundtrack to the summer, wasn't it? Bill and Tony and Richie and Chapelli and then whatever rotating crop that they had over the years. Do you have any favourite Bill Laurie memories? Do you have any favourite Richie Benno memories? Because I always say that, you know, for example, two commentators that I know, Australian commentators anyway, that could just generate levels of excitement unparalleled. Ray Warren in rugby league and Bill Laurie in cricket. And by that, I mean the two that, uh, you know, you have it on the background for whatever reason. You're in the other room, you're in the kitchen making a cuppa, and then something happens. And I don't know of any two other commentators in Australian sport that make you bolt back to the TV just to see what you've missed. And Bill Laurie was the master of that. He could go from zero to 100. He didn't care that he was biased. Didn't care at all. So now this idea that, or this suggestion that maybe Channel 9 have come in with a late bid and could end up hosting the Summer of Cricket once more. Do you have any favourite Bill Laurie, Richie Benno memories? Have we got any Bill there? Do we mad rush him? Gone! 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 Oh, he dropped it. What an effort. He had it. Ricky Ponting dives away and for just one brief moment it looked out. Wow. Yeah, got him. Do you remember Merv got the ball and uh, got the wicket, the last ball of the day in England? It's Shane Ward. And the 12th man captured it so beautifully. Captured it so beautifully. And Richie Benno, I mean, the master of understatement. You know, he had these rules of commentary, Richie. I'll try and dig him up. He had these rules of commentary. Um, you know, the idea was sort of less is more. That was his mantra. And you let the pictures do the talking. So don't speak unless you're adding to it. And all the, you get a host and a swathe of ex-Australian cricketers in the com box and you say, well, by the way, we've got to be impartial. It's Australia, it's not we. You know, it's not we. So we've got a wicket, no, Australia has a wicket. So, you know, the Titanic was a tragedy, losing a wicket is not. Richie on the streaker. Do you remember this? Well, that uh, streaker, we don't know at the moment if it's a boy or a girl streaker. <laughs> it's a boy, a boy. It's a boy, Rich. Well, he could have done some injury to Andrew Simons there because he seemed to run straight at him, and all of a sudden, he was on his back. <laughs> He's brilliant. I remember this years ago because remember when Channel Nine they did the cricket and they used to broadcast like, domestic one days as well. The old Mercantile Mitchell Cup. Remember that he hit the side. And South. Australia were playing in a match, and, and years ago, Adelaide Oval, if you recall, had these retractable lights and this wonderful technology. They're, they're waxing lyrical about these retractable lights at Adelaide Oval. 
as well. Richie, in his inimitable way, would say, Adelaide over lights. Takes 30 seconds to become fully erect. And then Benno, who was the master of the pregnant pause, would say, appropriately, the next batsman in is Nathan Adcock. <laughs> now, anybody else says it, it's crude. Richie says it, and it almost sounds statesmanlike, doesn't it? Let's get some memories today. Uh, highlights, the great Channel 9 cricket commentary team, Bill and Tony and Richie and Ciappelli and the rest of it. And uh, Ciappelli had the good fortune to work with him. I remember it was in Ashes too, and poor Ciappelli got sprung, dropping a few F-bombs, not knowing it was an air, and then to come on air the next day. And apologies, it's a family program to all the parents and kids that are listening to that. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. The open line number, 1300 011170. Now, did you catch the Big Bash last night? Did you catch this last night? They were four for nine, the Renegades. We thought they're going to be gone. And for a moment, Brisbane Heat, who I think are going to struggle this year, thought to themselves, well, maybe we're a chance here. And Max Bryan had got a lot of time. He can middle them. Gee, he needs to find some form. Billings wasn't too bad. So they're four for nine. Michael Neesa, a hat trick. We've all had him. Our dear friend and colleague here at the SEN Network, I remember when he made his debut in the Ashes and he shouldered arms to a ball and got bowled. It's happened to the best of us, and it happened to John Wells last night. He's right, I'm over, leaving a ball as Wells, and it's cut back and taken the off stump. Sammy Hargraves with a call, and you know what? You just It just never gets better looking at that on replay. You shoulder arms and bang, and he came wide at the crease. I don't know why he left it. That was only going to thunder in to off stump. It was angling back in. It's happened to a lot of us. You shoulder arms and you get bowled. So it got us thinking, maybe he needs to add the O back to his name. John Wells become John O. Wells once again. He's a good cricketer. It got me thinking too, with that in mind, are there any moments in sport that you'd love to have again? Any minutes or moments in sport that you would love to have again? Let's have a think about that today. 0457 736 736. Call me as well on the open line. I'm going to clear the decks for you. 1300 011170. Support John Wells, shouldered arms. Any moments in sport you'd like to have again. And let's get your recollections, your fondest memories of the heady days of Channel 9 in cricket. Let's get the news headlines. Yeah, Julian King with the USC in mornings. No Geelong Cats talk, no Richmond Tigers talk for the entire show. No Essendon Bombers talk as well. What about I mentioned how they came to this agreement, the Bombers? I've just said no Bombers talk with Andrew Thorburn. And I got hammered by some religious zealots on the text line. My goodness, there's some funky ones out there. But Merry Christmas to you all. Yeah, Jason wrote Nick Kyrgios because I said, is there more divisive character in Australian sport than David Warner? I sort of said that. And then I said, okay, probably in cricket. Nick Kyrgios, yeah, most certainly Nick Kyrgios. Thank you, uh, Jason. Shane, thank you kindly for your kind words on the text line. I won't read them out because it's a bit self-indulgent. Oh, big girl, looks like I have the top. Awesome man, dog. <laughs> That's a very good one, man. We should find it. In fact, we should dig up the 12th man if we can find it doing the big girl, Lee Slake. <laughs> that is brilliant. Commentary he did, you know, in the the wide world of sports, the state of origin, with big Jack Gibson goes to the car to fetch his cardigan. Wayne Pierce comes on, <laughs> Pierce off, and Ron Gibbs, <laughs> oh Rambo, Ronnie Gibbs, Pierce off, Jack Gibbs on. It was too good. Stewart says nice leave from John O'Wells. Yeah, the poor bloke is going to have to watch that on all the highlights now. Just go, no, no, this is good. Bang. Maybe he thought it was just going to angle away or cut away, but it didn't because he came wide with the crease, so it was only ever coming into the stumps. It was a lovely nut. But he should have defended it, John O'Wells. What moments on the back of that in sport would you like to have again? 0457 736 736. The open line number 1300 011170. And your memories, the Channel 9 cricket days. Bill, Tony, Richie, Chapelli, et al. Charles in charge, good morning to you.
Good morning, Julian. Good morning, everyone. How are we? Yeah, good. Uh, hang on, do we have a segment here, do we? Yep, this is Charles's Controversy Corner. Oh, like back in the Rexy Mossop days, the moose days. Exactly right. Yeah, what did Rex Mossop say about nudist beaches? And he says, oh, I just don't want it rammed down my throat. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he was good, the moose. Wonderful footballer as well. He always had that. Um, what was the other one? He said, oh, he's, he's literally on fire. He's literally on fire. I said, well, I hope not. You want to play in rainy conditions. So tell me something controversial. Good morning to you, Charles. Uh, good morning. So I have uh, two options for you. I have one about David Warner, and then I have one about John Wells, uh, formerly known as John O. Wells. So when did he drop the O from, from John O? It must have been this season because he was John O. Wells last season. Mm, that's interesting. I'm going to do a bit of digging. I'm well, maybe it's one of these sort of Jody Mears, Susan, Susan Lee things where the numerologist said you've got to either add a letter or remove a letter from your name, and maybe your fortunes have changed. Well, if that's the case, John, I demand a refund because it didn't work. Uh, we saw similarly with uh, Michael Theocletus, uh, who Alex could, could maybe shed some light on. Now Michael Theo. Um, I don't know. Mm. So the David Warner controversy or the John Wells controversy? Which yeah, one are you surprise, taking? Surprise, man. Toss a coin. I'm going to go with the John. First. I'm going to go to the... Uh, I said a coin. <laughs> I'm going to go to the John Wells one because it's a bit more topical. Yes. Uh, I was very critical of that leave. I am even going to go as far as to say it is the worst leave I've ever seen in my time watching cricket. And I've, I've compiled a list of three leaves that I think are up there, up there, up there with the worst. I've compiled a list of three leaves. Uh, this is getting very niche. Um, it, it is, but I'm going to quickly rattle them off and I want to get your judgment on whether those leaves are worse than John Well, hang Wells on. I need, to, I need to remember these leaves now, don't yeah. I? Yeah, I, okay. I? I think you will. I think they're, they're pretty famous. Uh, the, the first one, but, and, and just to preface, I think these are all better mm. than the John Wells one in terms of for the batter's sake. I think the John Wells one is the worst in cricket history that I've seen. Wow. These are some other famous ones. I just want to get your thoughts if they're, if they're better or worse for the batsmen involved than the John Wells one. So the first one is uh, Glenn Maxwell's leave for the Melbourne Stars against the Brisbane Heat. Don't remember it. Don't remember it. Remember no. it when he. Oh, when he yeah, no, that was pretty arms. bad. Was yeah. pretty, I need to look at these again, though. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. Do you reckon oh. that one just off the top of your head is worse than the John Wells one where he backs away and lets it go in? No comment. <laughs> this is scintillating radio. Oh, look, I need to see them. I need to see them. You, why don't you just give me a judgment and our listeners can decide? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this one was against England, South Africa. Uh, Paul Harris, the left arm orthodox bowler, bowling to Ian Bell. <laughs> And Ian Bell lets it cannon into middle and off stump. Oh, I reckon dear. this one is one of my favourite of mine. But see, that's middle. See, that you can almost yeah. make a case that letting it go where it thunders in the middle is worse, right? Yeah. I, I, I think on this instance, the reason why I give Ian Bell a slightly more leeway than uh, John Wells last night is that mm. Paul Harris can turn it away and it was on a uh, day three or day four spinning wicket in South Africa. Yeah. And it just didn't turn. It skidded on um, that, that Ian Bell wasn't expecting. But highly recommend looking that one up. That one was uh, pretty bad, but I still think John Wells' one is worse. Yep. Now, this one, uh, this was Michael Clark and uh, James Franklin in the 2003 the uh, World Cup. Yeah. Where, similar to Glenn Maxwell, he sort of backs away and then just lets it cannon into middle stump. And uh, Andrew Simons is looking so, at so, so, hang on. He backs yep. away and yep. doesn't offer a shot. Doesn't offer a shot. Well, that's just stupid. But it is stupid. But the reason why I'm giving Michael Clark uh, again a little bit of leeway was later towards the innings they were chasing big runs and it was just wasn't there to hit and 
just lets it can into the stumps. Okay. Uh, so I highly recommend uh, looking these up uh, if you're at home just to so get a gauge of them. All right, so we're looking up three leaves. Yeah, but I think John Wells's leave is the worst I've seen in cricket history. Good it was always cannoning into the stumps. All right, let's uh, let's leave the leaves alone now. What else we got? Uh, so we've also got uh, David Warner. Yes. Um, so I think he's done after this Test series against South Africa. Could well be. I I just think we what should be get taking him. What if he gets a hundred in Sydney or Melbourne? <sighs> I, I still don't know where I take him? him. Yeah, I think you can. I, I think I wouldn't take him to the two biggest away series on the calendar for Australians, which is away to India and an away Ashes series. I think that last Ashes series proved how crucial your openers are. We don't want to be, you know, sending in Warner or Labuschagne, basically either first ball or second ball of the innings and be two for not much every single time that like we were in the 2019 series. The thing about it is... Right, and we know he has a poor record in England, you know, and his record in India is not great either. But whoever you pick in place of Warner, you'd want to be pretty confident that they're going to do the job. And that's why I have two options for you. Go, you know, I want to flesh this out further in the next hour of the program because uh, mm. Fox had an article about some of the options, and I discussed it at length. And a lot of people tore me down for suggesting that that they should consider Renshaw very seriously. Renshaw is an option, but I've got uh, another Queensland opener, Bryce Street. Bryce Street. He's not in the ballpark at the moment. Really? Yep. Here we go. 28 matches. Yep. Uh, 1,608 runs at mm. 36.54. Mm. A 32.63 strike rate. Now, that's my biggest four um, in a terms of Bryce Street. A, a crease occupier. Which needs I, to be quicker than that. I, I disagree. I think no. that's exactly what you need. No, too slow. Uh, 500, 650s, high score of 143. He's not without ability. Mm. But, mate, he's not that close to the side yet. I, it's funny yeah. those people pushing his barrow all having to be Queenslanders. I'm, I'm, These are the Queenslanders you said, you know. No, I understand that. <laughs> uh, present company excluded. Yeah. So Bryce Street, they want Street there. They want Renshaw. They're outraged at Nisa doesn't play more Test match cricket. They said Jimmy Pearson should have been the long-term keeper after um, uh, Brad Haddon. I agree with that. Yeah. So I agree with that. Uh, the other option I have is uh, Henry Hunt from South Australia. 33 matches, 2,218 runs at 35.77, a 42.53 strike rate. So mm. still going fairly slowly, but more uh, quicker than, than the Wall Street himself. Uh, <laughs> seven tons, 8.50 is a high score of 134. I think those are the two best long-term options uh, to replace David Warner as opener. No, Matt Renshaw. Matt Renshaw, daylight second. Anyway, you may have a thought on that. Who's going to replace David Warner at the top of the order. If and when he retires, maybe he'll get sacked by the selectors. We don't know. Oh, 457 736 736. Uh, Greenkeeping Rooster just before the break. Morning, Jules. Get Charles to look up Rodney Hogsleeb against the West Indies in Perth, 84 85. Uh, are we really doing this? We're talking about leaves today. It's a bit hard, isn't it? Unless you look them up. But I did find a good one. Simon Cadditch's test debut, fourth test. Bold by Darren Goff. It is a Barry Crocker. Yeah, morning, everyone. Julian King on the chair, SEN Mornings. Uh, Steve from Warraknabeel. Isn't Gadding's leave to SK Warns first year, Old Trafford, 93? Is that the best leave of all time? It's brilliant. You've got to defend Gat, though, because most people would not have expected that to hit the top of off. It was a rip of delivery. We're talking those that you know that's only going to clatter into the stumps. It's only going one direction. And you just shoulder arms in the bang. I just had a look at a replay of Simon Catter's test debut, bowled by Goffey. Hit middle. To be fair to Cat, it, it did swing, though. It did swing. 
That's a good one. My son's just walked in. I've got him in the studios again. And uh, they're, being, they're very good. They're looking after him. They're chucking a bit of Netflix. He watches his cartoons. He's only seven, young Noah, and he walks in during the ad break. Dad, I've just made myself a, a toasted bun. I go, what? So he's just walked up to the fridge here, taken someone's lunch, God knows who, but it's, it goes off tomorrow. So waste not, want not. Goes just bunged it at the toaster, put some butter. He's just make yourself at home, mate. You want to have a shower as well while you're at it? Hit a few putts. There you go. I just thought it was quite hilarious. I just made myself a bun. He goes, I'll show you. You don't need to show me, mate, but that's good. It means I don't have to feed you lunch. To the open line we go, one 1170 G'day, James. Hey, Julian. Um, Warner, I'm on the fence with him because if you go back a few years, everyone was at his praise when he was knocking those tons out left, right and centre. Yes. He was the best of this spread. So, I mean, it's gone off his nose, but it's taken off... Um, a bit of the highlight of who should be really looked at and under the microscope, and that's Cameron Green. What's he done with the ball or the bat in the last few tests? I thought, Not much. I, yeah, I thought Green was pretty good in Brisbane, considering the pitch. I thought he he found the middle. He was had a shocker in, in Adelaide. I grant him that. What are you suggesting? You're dropping Cameron Green, James, because that's that shan't be happening. Yeah, like, why not? Uh, well, looking for the future. You drop Green, give him a bit more incentive and get him, get more, you know, hunger for it. Put Steinus in and just see how he goes on these pitches, looking towards the Ashes series. So hang on, and, you're, you're uh, dropping you're dropping Green for Steinus. Yep. Oh, you're mad, James. You're mad. Green is the future. Yeah, but he's like, oh, I'm the future, but he's not getting dropped when he's not performing. He's losing that hunger. Give him that hunger to go, yeah, I want to make sure. I don't... It's like he's gone, the selectors are gone, you're the future, you're in, doesn't matter what you do, you're still in. Well, I like that from the selectors. I like that from the selectors, Jobes. But I thought he was outstanding in the Ashes. Without getting the 100, he really came of age. And it was a tricky wicket. And I thought his first dig in Brisbane was commendable. Good on you, mate. Hello, Gaz. Hello, Julian, mate. I just your son knows he's getting the the uh, membership for Christmas now, does he? Well, you've just said it on the air, and he's listening outside. So thanks for spoiling it, Gary. Appreciate that. <laughs> oh well, he just walked in and made the toast. <laughs> See, hey, hey, listen. When I mentioned it at the top of the show, he was in another room uh, away from oh, the studio sorry, monitors. Mate. Sorry, um, yeah, that's all right. Sorry, mate. Oh well, you know, I can't help myself. I just thought he, he must know he's there making sandwiches anyway. Oh, well. The only reason he wants a membership is so he can walk around the lanyard, sort of Wayne's World style, and look important. Guys, but you know, our kids, are, unless they, they're clear with their priorities, <laughs> I'll give him that. Uh, you got to love them. Look, look. There's a couple of things I want to mention. One is to make the top eight, and then I want to mention the salary cap and the five mil on top of the salary cap. Just, just on the top eight, there was, there's a few teams in the last couple of years that made the eight: Brisbane, Titans, Manly, Newcastle. Yeah. Then you've got St. George and Canterbury. They all can't make the eight. It's a tough gig. I don't know why everyone's saying Canterbury's got to make the eight. They've got to make the St. George improved. They'll make the eight. It's, it's how many people are dropping out of the eight? That's the question you've got to ask. Uh. And, you know, it's, it's really tough. So on that, but I'll just, I'm going to put my head on the chopping block and say this. There's two legends who will finish up from Canterbury. One's Burton and one's the coach. What I've seen in the last six weeks, I'm saying there'll be legends going forward for Canterbury. That's my tip. I'm tipping early. Just on the five, Julian, just on the five mil. With the five mil, I look at it this way. 
if it plays on 800,000 to 1.2, give or, give or take. Now, what happens there is you want those, those type of plays on that money to, you, to win in September, win your games in September. And I don't see that. I see a handful of players at best that can turn a game in September. Not many more. Mm. So with that five mil, I go this way. Put every penny into the juniors and get your own. That's the way, that's the future. And if you need more money than five, just put it in. Thank you, Gary. Uh, so, you know, Gary is, is um, an innovative thinker when it comes to the game. As for suggesting Burton Seraldo could be all-time greats of the Bulldogs club, well, I'm not sure that's as outlandish as perhaps you think. Now, Seraldo, a huge raps on Cameron. And, you know, I'm a Dragons fan and they're great rivals, but uh, I, for one, I think that the competition needs a successful Canterbury side. We'll take a break. We've got some beautiful highlights from the Channel 9 commentary team. We've got Michael Bevan's last ball for Warney's 300th. Merv's hat-trick against the West Indies across three overs. So Michael Nisa had a hat-trick last night across two overs. Merv's the only one in test history to do it across three overs. And, uh, and of course, the infamous Tony Gregg weather wall. Was it the Dulux weather wall? You're a bit young, Alex, but, I mean, you like to spend your time trawling YouTube for, for all these old clips. I think it was the Dulux weather wall. Making me out to be a big nerd here. Yeah, and no yes. one, yeah, no one ever understood the, the player comfort level, right? So they go, well, it's, it's 28 degrees, but out in the middle it feels like 50 degrees underneath all their, all their equipment. Here's David Boone here, you know. So this <laughs> one I've got. Loosen the strides. It's very moist and sticky. Yes. Uh, Jeff from George's Hall. Uh, I'll get you to hang on, Jeff, because we're a little pressed for time. We're about to bump into the news. I'm caught between a clock and a hard place, unfortunately. You know, I do want to give you plenty of time to chat and uh, recall your favourite cricket memories. Steve says, Jules, I hope you're not a dad who forces his team on his son. Well, yes, that's, it's a rite of passage for a father, is it not, to make sure your son supports the team that you support? In the Dragons. Look, I do reside in Parramatta. My wife is sort of, she flip-flops now. And she said, well, we live in Parramatta. My daughter now is going to be an Eels fan. She got caught up in the fanfare of, of grand final week. It was great. All, all the colours around the streets of Parramatta. It was wonderful to see. And so I'm resigned to the fact that my daughter will probably be an Eels fan. It's for her to choose. But my son is most certainly a Dragons fan. And we can't say it too loudly. He's getting a Dragons membership for his birthday. And he's going to vote St. George of the Warra. He's going to vote to keep the logo and have access to those juniors. You know, it's been a wonderful pipeline of talent. And before, long before the merge, you think about Steve Slippery Morris, think about Craig Young, and a handful of others. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. of that is the open line number. Taking your calls after the news, uh, the man who talks about avenues of apprehension and the like, Damien Fleming, is going to join me in the next hour to have a look at the Boxing Day test. A wonderful, wonderful tradition around Christmas time in the Australian sporting calendar and plenty more. And, of course, uh, we're going to look back at some of the great memories of Channel 9 cricket and look at some of the opening options. If Warner were to fall over, who's going to partner Rusey at the top of the order? One hour down, two hours to go. Julian King on air this morning on SEN Morning. Stick around. Yeah, Julian King with you, SEN Summer Mornings. Good morning, everyone. Great to have your company wherever you're tuned in. SEN 1170 in Sydney, SEN Q693 in Brisbane, and 1620 on the Gold Coast. We're there. It's just ticked over three minutes after nine. We're going to get to your calls in a moment. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. We're reminiscing about some of the great days of cricket. You know, when Channel 9 had it, there's talks about them throwing their hat in the ring for the next round of broadcast rights. We'll talk about that in great detail, or further detail, in the final hour of the program, the Mark C. Scott, he's all over this. Now, how legitimate is this nine bid? And what are the fears 
when it comes to potentially awarding the cricket rights to Channel 10 and Paramount, uh, who have some answers for you on that front. 0457 736 736. And a few people, too, are having to say about these proposed questions by St George Lawara to their members about a potential name change. And uh, what did um, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin Coldplay call it when they separated? A conscious uncoupling. You know, is there going to be a conscious uncoupling between the St George side and the Illawarra side of the merger? 243, slow news day. I'm gathering why are people blowing up over a simple question on the survey. The name isn't going to change. Well, there's a lot of history involved in it. 243. Uh, Pearl, hello to you. Morning, Jules. Junior Pearl <laughs> uh, had a choice on who he followed regarding his team. So he could choose the Dragons or alternate lodgings. I'd never thought about threatening him with kicking him out of home, but luckily he chose right. And he too doesn't know a time before Illawarra, so he was lived with the suggestion, was even made to take Illawarra out of the name. It won't happen. A lot of people don't even call it Illawarra. Even those in the media sometimes, you know, say, for example, here's Lomax and a try for the St George Dragons. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. As I said, Illawarra don't even have their socks running around anymore. Just before we get to you, Jeff, and I thank you for your patience, motorsports governing body, the FIA, has cracked down on competitors making political, religious and personal statements or comments in its updated rules for next season. And we're seeing more and more of this from all sports over the globe. The Bodies International Sporting Code, that's the ISC, concerning breach of rules, now deems an offence the general, and I quote, the general making and display of political, religious and personal statements or comments notably in violation of the general principle of neutrality promoted by the FIA. So the FIA governs Formula One, as you know, they govern the World Rally and Endurance Championships. So as of January 1, 2023, any statements will need to be previously approved in writing by the FAA for international competitions or the relevant National Sporting Authority for national competitions within their jurisdiction. So Lewis Hamilton's a prime example, arguably the greatest F1 driver in history. Very overt with his political commentary. Wears T-shirts emblazoned with political messaging. And the nature of the sanctions which would follow a breach of the rules were not yet specified. Do you like this? Are you happy for them? I don't think they're saying no, but you need written permission. The question is, would they get written permission? We see it a lot, certainly in English soccer or football around the world. Players celebrate, they lift the shirt up and they've got a political statement, they get suspended or, or banned for that. It's, it's a sticky area. It's a really sticky area. It's a slippery slope you're on. Uh, Jeff from George's Hall, good morning. Morning, Julian. All the best from one dragon supporter to another. Oh, thank you, my friend. Thank I you. I wasn't going to mention the dragon. I wasn't going to mention about the dragons, but to me, get it right on and off the field. Don't worry about the name. They've got to get those things right first before they worry about changing the name or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just my my uh, one song my thunder was the weather wall. I only remember the Julikes and the, Uni- the Unisys one. The one, one <laughs> oh, Unisys, that's right. You'd, Unisys, that, yeah. and that was you know what you just you just reminded me there, Jeff. When they had the batting card, so they put up the batting card, and they had the little Unisys logo down the bottom. There's a good one. And just one, just one thing about that didn't like was not their fault. I think it's a cross train cricket board. Was when we only used to get the first two hours of a one day game in Sydney in the last oh, session of a test match. Worse. I used to try and change, try and change my TV to win nine for more long to try and get the whole <laughs> session, but it wouldn't work, mate. Oh, so you climb up work. the roof, you'd sort of bundle together all the coat hangers and and do we your used best. To live out south to west. We used to live in southwest area, so we so could just, try and, the picture wasn't the best, but try and change the, the wind news. We could watch most bit, of the cricket, but it wasn't clear. But anyway, it was a bit snowy. That was the worst too, unless it was a sellout. If it was a sellout, That's then right, they put Sydney, it. Yeah. yeah, and thankfully they changed that because what they found is that um, putting it live up against the gate didn't actually impact on the gate takings. 
So that was a real blessing in yeah. the air. Do you remember too? Was, I hated that. Yeah, I hated it. Do you remember too, Jeff? It was it was done with State of Origin. So we live in New South Wales. State of Origin was hosted in New South Wales. They put it on replay. And I was at school and young. I'd always fall asleep. And now, oh, thankfully, no, they, no. They, they play. I mean, the kickoff's late things enough as it is, but things have changed. Thankfully. Yeah, the Dulux weather. Well, Unisys, there's a great one. Good on you, Jeff. How are the Dragons going to go 2023? Uh, they haven't made many signings, mate, and I'm not looking for, uh, To be honest, that I don't think it's going to change that much. They needed to buy some players, but they haven't bought anyone with big names. So well, whether they can afford them or not, I don't know. So it's going to be another tough year, I think. Mm, well, they've got two new assistants, but they don't have a lot of wriggle room in the cap at the moment. Uh, yeah, the, the concern I have is their middle forwards. You know, where's the punch? Where are the, for want of a better expression, post-contact metres? You know, we'll be interested to see how they go. And the back line looks pretty good. It's it's a shame what's happened to Cody Ramsey, but I think it's a bit of a wake-up call. Sloan, I suspect, will now take this opportunity. So you think about Sloan, you think about Ravalawa uh, on one wing, you know, Suli and Lomax in the centres. You've got uh, young Matty Fina, who was a revelation last year. Junior Ramon, Ben Hunt. It, it's a decent back line. It's a decent back line. My concern is the punch, though, in the middle, Jeff. But uh, fingers crossed, you've you got to start the season... The glass is half full mentality, don't you? Yeah, mate. Well, we'll see how Griffin goes. Well, he, if he doesn't perform in the first few, he might be at the door. But then, who's going to come and replace him? So, well, that's no, a good question. You, you know, you want to make sure you're replacing him with someone better. And you know, the draw, the first month of the draw is pretty kind of the Dragons. They got the the buy first up. I think they got the Titans once or twice. They got the Dolphins and a few other teams in there as well, which are a winnable game. So, so fingers crossed, they can start the season with some momentum. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, mate. Good on you. Bye-bye. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Stewie says, uh, uh, "What about the bouncer from Glen McGrath? The Tendulka Duck was given out LBW, being hit in the shoulder. I remember that. Well, LBW doesn't have to be leg before. It's just got to be a part of your body that gets in the way of the stumps, doesn't it?" Matt says, uh, "Message for Gary. It's summer champ cricket season. Give it a rest." <laughs> uh, Davy Warner's okay, says Steve. Sean Marsh was there forever. Did nothing for ages. Yeah, flat is to deceive. Uh, supremely talented player, Sean Marsh. He was dropped and recalled. Nine times, I believe. I could be wrong. I stand to be corrected. But Sean Marsh dropped and recalled nine times in Test Match Cricket. I have a feeling, I don't know, and there are smarter minds out there than I, I have a feeling the person dropped and recalled the most in Test Cricket was England's Phil Defratis. Something like 12 times, a ridiculous amount. I think far out. I mean, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Phil Defratis keeps getting dropped and recalled. Bulldog Bob, good morning to you, my friend. Uh, Bob, what did you make of Gaz's commentary that Matt Burton and Cameron Seraldo will go down as Bulldogs legends? You could be right. Sporting moments you'd like to have over. Channel 7 commentator Sandy Roberts interviewing Miss Australia in 1981 <laughs> at the Mount Gambier races. Her name was Leanne Dick. When they crossed him a bit early, became flustered and introduced her as Leanne Cock. <laughs> you can view it on YouTube as Sandy Roberts. Miss Australia, one of the great sporting gaffes of all time. The joys of live broadcasting. Hey, Bulldog Bob. The joys of live broadcasting. Jules, anyone who doesn't think Renshaw is an ex-opener needs an HIA needs to lie down. It's a no-brainer. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Panthers to do the three-peat in 23. Good on you, Wild Panther. He's a mad Penrith fan. I would love to have a team that, you know, most people tip in and go three in a row. Three in a row hasn't been done since Parramatta in the 80s. And maybe, just maybe, I mean, Stevie Crichton has scored in three consecutive grand finals, but Burt did three doubles in three winning grand finals. Hard to see who's going to challenge them, to be honest. Having said that, they are a weaker side. Of course, no Coruscant, huge loss, no kick out. But they are just a cut above the rest. 0457 736 736. Dragon's name change. Do you like it? 
You want to see a conscious uncoupling? Not sure it's going to happen. Not sure it's going to happen. Now, David Warner, if he were to fall over, and I remind you of that last text message there from the Wild Panther, who's going to be his partner? Kawaja's still going strong. Marcus Harris, currently a member of the Australian Test Squad. Undisputed next cab off the rank. Well, that's according to foxsports.com.au. Don't know about undisputed. Latest to deceive Marcus Harris. I think he's got 250s in 26 test innings. He's a good player. Maybe he's the sort of guy that, that could follow in the footsteps of Matt Hayden, another left-hander who a lot of people at the time, if you recall, had consigned him to the test scrap heap. Then he came of age with that tour of India and never looked back and established himself as one of our greatest ever test openers. I'm not sure he's in that class, Marcus Harris. I think he's better than what his test numbers show. 726 runs at 42 and nine first-class matches for Gloucestershire over the winner. That's the key. Got to play a lot of cricket, as they did. All the great first-class players back in the day went to England to, to hone their craft. Three centuries. 288 runs in four Shield matches at 41 for Western Australia this Shield season. 73 against the West Indies during the PM's 11. So he's very, very good first-class cricketer. Is he a test cricketer? I think the jury's still out. Matt Renshaw. I like him. Debuted, let's be honest, Renshaw debuted too early, November 2016 as a 20-year-old. Maiden century against Pakistan at the SCG that summer. I was there for that match. I think Hilton Cartwright played that game. Then they had the Test Tour of Bangladesh 2017, axed in favour of Bancroft. Took a break from cricket, was dropped from the Queensland side. He can bat up and down the order too. But Sheffield Shield this summer, Matt Renshaw averaging 51.66. Unbeaten double century against New South Wales and Sydney, Dremoyne. Then the Prime Minister's 11, 81 and 101 not against the pink Kookaburra ball. A couple of 50s against India in early 2017 on the subcontinent. He was asked about a test recall. I'm ready. He's still young. It'd be better for the runners, they say. This is the last few years I've definitely rethought about how I go about my cricket. Really good player. He's a front runner for mine. Travis Head, I think they're mad. I mean, a lot of people say maybe I open Travis Head. He is carving out an a name for himself in the middle order as sort of a Gilchrist moulded player who can then, you know, batting at the strike already does, what, 92 off 96, but it, it didn't look cavalier by Renshaw. So sorry, by, by Travis Head. The last thing you want to do is weaken that spot. He's making it his own just to open the batting with him when you have other options. Currently averages 44.55 in the five-day format. 2,000 runs since his debut in 2018. Five's his spot. Please, let's not move. Let's not move, Travis Head. Now, Bancroft, he did get the recall, as you recall, in Ashes 2019. Didn't nail down that spot. Has ability. Has ability. So a lot of people go, oh, what about Bancroft? His test career was over. You forget that he got picked after what happened after his nine-month ban. He's 30 now. The only cricketer, by the way, three shield centuries this season. Nobody else in the competition has faced more than 1,000 deliveries. You remember Mike Hussey made his test debut at the age 30. Think about the likes of Renshaw, the likes of, of, of Bancroft. They're probably better now. They know their game better. So in a sense, you kind of have to ignore previous form. You know, the, the great hockey coach, Rick Charlesworth, is one of a cricket himself, former parliamentarian, says you can't ignore form. But the one that they wanted is Will Bukowski. Can't catch a break, you know. He's been hit in the head a few times, uh, a few mental health battles. But he is the undoubted talent out of that crop that I've just mentioned. I mean, they're all gifted. But if he was fit, he's the one. I mean, he was touted the best since Ponting. They said, you've got to have a look at this bloke. And Ricky went down to watch him, didn't want to be seen. So he watched him at, a, I think it might have been a club game, sort of stood behind a tree. 
He's that good, Will Pekofsky. Henry Hunt, you heard Charles in charge mention him in the first hour, the South Australian. Fourth leading run scorer on the Shield last summer, 601 runs in eight matches. The only cricketer must have three centuries. Good player, don't know if he's there yet. But he's got pretty good technique and he's patient. He can bat long. He can bat long. So there are a couple of options. Who's going to replace David Warner? 0457 736 736. Jules, are you doing the sports quiz today, says Berkeley Eagle? Great listening yesterday. Uh, no, I'm not, sadly. The only reason I did it yesterday is because I had to go to, well, I went nationally. So I went to Perth, I went to South Australia. And it went to Melbourne as well. And, and this is the problem that we have because, you know, Melbourne people, they don't care about rugby league. Us rugby league fans don't particularly care about AFL. We don't want to hear about it, which is why I said I'm not going to kick off the show talking about the relative fortunes of Geelong and Richmond for season 2023 or how some on-field umpire didn't pay a holding the ball call back in round 18. None of that sort of stuff. So, it, you know, it's pretty hard to straddle those state divides, Berkeley Eagle, keep everyone happy. So I basically spent three hours talking about cricket, manual cars and doing sports quizzes. And tell you what, it's a bloody fun three hours. Thank you, Bergley Eagle, for tuning in. Uh, what about Bangers Bancroft? Average of 60. Yeah, that's another one. Keep him away from Bunnings. <laughs> yeah, what great sandpaper. Look, he, look, I think he's resigned to the fact that he's going to have to cop those barbs for the rest of his life. He man, Warner. And to be fair, Warner played up to the Barmy Army. Remember 2019? Ah, oh, Warner, the Emptied the pockets. Nothing to see here. Remember when Tony Gregg's pitch report sticking the key in the wicket to test the moisture? Love the banter between Tony and Bill, especially when they'd go on about Bill's pigeons, Tom from Penrith. Yeah, it was great. You know, opening the, the commentary with Bill and Tony. And the thing about it is uh, you stick the key in. What was it, Billy Birmingham? He said, oh, you know, he's lost the key. Or the fountain pen. He had to go down and fetch the fountain pen, the weather wall. It's all very colourful and high-tech. It doesn't make a rat's a difference to the outcome of this game. Michael Bevan's last ball for Sydney Cricket Ground, New Year's Day, 1996. I was there, not going to lie. The head was a bit worse for wear, but I tell you what, nothing cures a hangover like this finish. Circle, they're right on the line. He'll probably pitch it in towards Reg Stump and the full. It's there, that's ball! It's victory for Australia! What an effort! What a strike! It's Michael Bevan's evening at the Sydney Cricket Ground. What a shot under pressure! What a finish. The place went absolutely, as Tony say, bananas. But I, it was such a brilliant finisher. And the thing I fear, I mean, in this age of hit and giggle and T20, where it's all about power, you know, these railway sleepers, light as a feather, where you can top edge sixes, bludgeon the ball over the boundary, that people won't appreciate the finesse and the mastery of Michael Evans' finishing. He was elite. I've never seen a finisher like him. You know, Doney more recently, yeah, and Coley and these sorts of guys, great finishers. But he's a guy that would just compute any match equation. You think, come on, Bev, get on with it. Just rotate the strike, singles, keep in touch, keep the required run rate to around six or so and over. Find the gap, hit that odd four when he had to, and just timed it, brought it down to the last ball and finished. He was just, I've never seen any better. Never seen any better than Bevan to manage a situation and close out a game. The best closer I've seen is Michael Bevan. And anybody disagrees with me, well, you're wrong. And everyone's entitled to my opinion. 0457-736-736. Always sit with gentle effect. Uh, Lads, remember Dennis Lilly caught Willie Boldilly. That was very good. Lilly caught Willie Boldilly. Remember Graham Dilly? That mop of blonde hair. Now, I'm taking you back. A lot of our listeners know. And, you know, when I looked at Graham Dilly, I always thought he was the same bloke that was in the Blue Lagoon. Remember the Blue Lagoon with Brooke Shields? I've forgotten the actor's name. Hey, what was the actor's name in the Blue Lagoon? Can somebody on the text line help me out? That mop of blonde hair. 
And if you don't give me an answer, I'm going to assume it was Graham Dilly. Matt, good morning. These elite cricketers are very ego-driven, Jules. Legacy is important to them. Legacy should be important. Warner's average is dipping fast. He will not want to see it go under 45. I think he will retire after Sydney. I don't know what his movements are. According to him and his manager, he's adamant that he's going to kick on. He wants to go to India. He wants to go to England. I've just pulled up his stats in front of me. And people who love your stats, uh, howstat.com is arguably the best cricket stats site going around. David Warner played 99 test matches, of course, 100 at MCG. Home 53, away 46. His home average 57.3 run, uh, three one at a strike rate of 73. His away average 34.01. Huge disparity. Still striking pretty impressively, 68. At home, 1800s, 1450s. Away, 600s and 2050s. So quite a big gulf between home and away. All the greats, you know, home and away averages, you think about war and border and ponting these guys, it's almost similar, 50 home, 50 away. Warner, huge difference without question, but, but, if you're picking a greatest ever Australian team to play at home in Australian conditions, Warner figures in the conversation for your opener. Without question. Without question. Good on you, Matt. Keep those texts coming in 0457 736 736. We're to catch up with Damien Fleming in about 10 minutes' time on the program. Uh, this one, Spud from Asheville. Hello, Spuddy. I remember once... There was a wedding happening at a park near the cricket ground. The cameraman zoomed in. The bride, oh, no, yes, I remember that. North Sydney Oval, in fact, that well, I can't read that out, but it wasn't on air gaff by Tony Craig. I remember that well. You know, there's always a hot mic. Be careful what you say. There is always a hot mic. Morning, Jules. Get Charles to, oh, yeah, we mentioned that. Yeah, Rodney Hogg. I've tried to find that uh, hoggy leaf. I haven't found it. I might ask Flemo about that. Uh, Matt from Hunters Hill, another Matt. There's a lot of Matts on the text line. How are guys averaging under 40 even in the mix to play test cricket? Good question, but who's averaging over 40? That recent game against the South African 11. Sorry, no, it wasn't. It was the PM's 11 against the West Indies. Only one person, Matt, in the top six was averaging over 40. Do you know who it was? It wasn't Renshaw. It wasn't Hanscom. It wasn't any of these blokes that have played test cricket. It was Aaron Hardy with a relatively brief first-class career and wonder what he was my player to watch by the way big bash and he has a good start for the mighty scorchers and they take on the stars uh, tomorrow night but yeah Aaron Hardy it is a concern I asked Alex Dillon about this and he said no no it's sort of different times I'm not sure about that the concern I have is that uh, so much of this generation brought up on a diet of white ball cricket what's the first casualty of white ball cricket it's defense it's defense so Crickviz, who crunch all the numbers and all the data in cricket, and they're wonderful data analysts. And, and I heard Freddie Wilde, who's their lead analyst, say that from whenever they started plotting, say from about 2005, 2006, they had a theory that if you defended every ball, say you're playing a test match, and tried to defend every ball, you'd last about 70 deliveries before you got out. That was back 15 years ago. Now that's dropped to about 60. So what, the, what is that telling you about defences? Join the dots. 0457 736 736. Got a few answers coming in. Read the Blue Lagoon. I reckon that was one of Flemo's favourites. We're a bit behind time. We'll take a break back with more. Yeah, Jules in the chair, SEN Mornings. 0457 736 736. Christopher Atkins was the man in Blue Lagoon. Christopher Atkins and Brooke Shields. I always forget that Andre Agassi was married to Brooke Shields. It was that great story, too, when he's married to Brooke Shields. There was a picture of Steffi Graf on the fridge 
because she basically envied her legs. Yeah, it's a beautiful set of pegs, Steffi Graf. And then sure enough, later enough, he ends up marrying Steffi Graf and they have a kid, Jaden. Imagine that. Your parents have got a good part of, what, 30, almost 30 Grand Slam singles titles between them. Quite astonishing. It is a good baseballer for more reports, uh, Jaden Agassi. Not into tennis at all, which is understandable. Yeah, Blue Lagoon actor Christopher Atkins, thank you so much. I wonder what he's doing now. Has he done anything since? Has he done anything since? Uh, it's funny, Jules. Bevo finding the boundary off the last ball was impressive 25 years ago. Today, if a bowler doesn't get hit for four off the last ball to win, that's now impressive, completely flipped. Yeah, uh, you always got to examine these things in context, though, don't you? Yeah. Uh, I remember Tony Gregg coming out to bat with a motorcycle. He had the St. Peter's one. Uh, Dennis Amos was the first to officially wear a, a motorcycle helmet in world cricket. Christopher Atkins. I'm going to have to look him up on IMDb. Real, uh, yes, Rex Moss, we're talking about that. He had controversy corner in the first day of the program. He was a great rugby player too, Rex. He was. He was known for mixed metaphors and the like. He got very, very angry, Rex. He bet he was one of a kind. Uh, Jules, LADU Sparty. I shouldered arms in an under-13s game in 85. One of my brothers uh, crow-pecked me. The other gave me a dead leg. My dad didn't speak to me for a week. On reflection, I got a flight. Yeah, we deserved everything coming your way. You know, have a... What do they say? The old brush of the blood, head goes back, tuck a wild swing. You never show it. Certainly not another 13s. You know, number 13s. I, you do remember you had that rule where you had to retire at 50? Ridiculous rule. And the idea, look, I understand it so everybody gets about. The problem is that we were chasing one game and we were short of the total. And our number 10 bat, like he'd make, he'd make Bruce Reed look like Bradman. He'd make Jimmy Higgs look like Bradman. He was that bad. And I think I cannot bat, because I was in 49, I get one more run, innings is over. So I can't let him get another 30 runs because he just wouldn't get it. So I thought, you know what, to hell with this. So I took the strike, bloke dropped it short, bang, pulled away, one bounce, square leg boundary four, that's me 53 not. We lose out in first innings. But I had to do it. We're going to lose anyway, might as well go down with glory. Good on you, Spart. Merry Christmas to you. I'm back on tomorrow morning as well. We might, uh, you know what, tomorrow morning, might have a bit of fun, a bit of Christmas fun. Uh, help me because I've got to make some pork crackling. So I want people to help me with the pork crackling recipes. Uh, morning, Jules, says Daisy. With Warner's current form, how can he think he can go to England? He's always been bang average at best in England, even when going. Uh, well, yeah, that's a good point. And a lot of people are making that point with Ree Warner in England. Anyway, I'll take the news headlines. The other side of this, uh, Damien Fleming. You know what? I'm going to call it now. Oh, are we out of rating season, Mad Russian? So can I read out? Can I read out Rodney's text? Michael Bevan was a better finisher than Ron Jeremy. <laughs> Thank you, Rodney. He was a wonderful finisher. It's an art underappreciated now. Like I said, you know, these light as a feather railway sleepers, your top edge sixes. People don't know the craft of quality finishing like we saw at Sydney Cricket Ground, 1996. A man who knows all about craft is our next guest. Only three more sleeps till Christmas Day, but importantly, only four more sleeps till the Boxing Day Test. Australia takes a 1-0 lead in the series after a victory in just two days in Brisbane. There's plenty on the line for the Australians, for the South Africans, for the pitch, and, of course, for Dee Warner. And a man who knows every blade of grass at the MCG is Damien Fleming, and he's on the line right now. Hello, Flem. Yeah, good morning. Um, hopefully Santa brings us at least a three-day test. Yeah, that'd be nice. You know, all you want for Christmas is for, for a test to last more than two days. I think Cricket Australia, in terms of their coffers, wouldn't mind that as well. Although the Aussies are probably happy to get a few extra days rest uh, heading into Boxing Day. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, uh, there was a few components that, that led to that, that two-day test. I'd certainly want it... Um, I like the test matches slightly bowler-dominated mm. um, than the batathons we had a few years ago, but... Um, you know, probably it was weighted too much towards the bowlers. And then we're going to the MCG that was, you know, criticised, as I said, a few years ago because it was too flat. But they uh, they have turned it around there. We've been getting um, results in the last three years. Um, so hopefully he's not scared off by what happened up at the Gabba. And, um, you know, there's, there's certainly enough grass for for the ball to, to swing and seam around. You know what? It wasn't a great pitch, no doubt. Smith said it was hard to bat on. Elgar said it was almost unplayable, which I thought was a bit of overreach. But I didn't think some of the batting was all that flash. I mean, Travis Head, Flem showed in the first dig. And even Verena and Bavuma, I thought, batted, batted pretty well. Showed that, you know, if you get your feet moving and you play with good intent, that there were runs to be scored. Yeah, I think it was still should have been pushed to the um, third day. You know, what happened was, yeah. you know, we've got a South African top order that's um, nowhere near their, their greatest uh, batting lineup that, that they've produced out here. Um, but also, when, when it's bowler-dominated um, test matches or series, even like last year against the Ashes, you actually can rate runs. Yeah. When, when three of the top order are getting hundreds, well, you know, and, and scores of... Five six hundred, um, it's too much weighted towards the batter. But I think Travis Head's become an actual, just an absolute match winner. Um, those two hundreds against England last year on green seamers uh, were, were amazing, and that ninety, as you just said, um, in a two day Test match, is 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 worth its currency in gold. So. So what I've got out of that is that Travis Head now at number five feels like he belongs. And also he's got that almost Gilchrist-like take the game away from the opposition Mm. and score a run of ball. So he's been a real find the last two summers. The scoring rate, you're right, is Gilchrist-like. And the other thing too is that just have a look at some of his stroke play too, Flemmy. It doesn't look cavalier. It doesn't look foolish. It still looks calculated, but, you know, for want of a better term, positive intent. And it's funny because people are saying, well, if uh, eventually when D Warner makes way, he's going to open the batting for Australia. And some people have said, oh, maybe Travis Head. And so I think the last thing you do now that he's finding a place in that middle order would, would be to move him. No, I wouldn't be moving him. The, the only place I, I would think of it is in the subcontinent um, because you want to score runs when the ball's nice and hard. And, and then it gives him a chance to be, you know, on a, on a decent score when the spinners come on. But long term, that's not a, um, not a great plan. You know, once you find someone who, who's found a position in the batting lineup, you know, once you know your role and you feel like you can fill that role, it's amazing how you can grow on confidence. Mm-hmm. And Trav's changed his technique a little bit, you know, instead of collapsing that back leg and, and upper cup cutting balls outside off stump, um, and yes, he used to hit some fours that way, but he often got caught behind the wicket, even even down at third man. Um, standing up tall, punching it, cutting it, you know, he, he certainly not only worked on, you know, his batting plan, but technically, um, you know, he's just in a lot better position um, to face constant high-quality deliveries outside of stump. But um, no, long-term option, I, I want him at number five. 
We've been reminiscing this morning, Flem, about the great William Morris Lyra. We thought, how would he have sounded, you know, calling Scotty Boland last year at the MCG? He'd have been absolutely apoplectic. But, uh, you know, Boland v. Hosel with us talk about the Bendemir bullet being fit. You know, and Australia's blessed with, with such bowling depth at the moment. So, you know, what do they do? They'd be hard-pressed to, to drop him for his home test. And I just wonder, you know, do you give Hazelwood just one more test to rest and maybe pick him for Sydney and, and rest Arky for Sydney potentially? Yeah, I mean, Josh is one of our greatest quicks of all time. 217 wickets at 26, and, and he's got plenty more in him. But, my, but you know, Scott Boland has got a bowling average of 10. At 10 <laughs> yeah. um, Can someone tell him that test cricket's actually uh, hard, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, eventually, if you play enough tests in, in, in non-quick, uh, friendly conditions, yeah. yeah, you'll find out all about. But, um, yeah, they're both magnificent, really. They're both just, they're high releases, they're fast, they attack the stumps. Um, you know, they're constant threats to right-handers and left-handers. My, my main issue is having done a grunt of muscle myself. I think Josh is now, this is his second one. Um, you know, they, these can take, um, you know, six weeks. You know, if they're really bad, obviously it's not a real bad one. It can take 12 weeks. So it's only weeks since Josh has done that. Mm. And and I don't think there's a need to rush him in. Yeah. Because we've got Scott Boland who... Um, even his first-class figures at the G, you know, he averages 24 with the ball at his home ground. So I'd be, I'd be erring uh, caution with Hazelwood side strain, and I'll be playing Scott Boland and and uh, and Bay 13. I'll be happy with that. That'd be, you know, they yes. had Maxie Walker, they had Mervyn Hughes, they had Peter Stiddle. You know, now they got Bowler. Yeah, uh, and it's funny, and he's a lovely fellow, very softly spoken, Scotty Boland. And a mate here who we work with, Steve O'Keefe, says, "Yeah, until you face him in a shield game, and he just gives it to you. absolute grunt." So he's, uh, you know. Was a savant in that respect. Uh, now, 100 tests for David Warner, great milestone, one of our greatest ever openers. Uh, I see Trent Woodhill's comments this morning, Flem, saying, you know, he's looked at him, he's seen his eye, he's seen his footwork and, and doesn't see any sign of decline. Is he is he one knock away from a return to form? Now, that's a weird comment. <laughs> he's averaging 20 uh, mm. this year, Dave Warner. So something's happening. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, big Dave Warner fan, um, I remember seeing him. I was working at the Cricket Academy in the under-19s for New South Wales, and he was a middle-order player that bowled leggings. He was the best fielder in the tournament. Um, so, uh, you know, but to think he could have made, played 100 tests as an opener, you know, would have seemed a mile, miles away back then. But also saw him in, in 50-over cricket. He made this 160 early on and then, then a quick 90. And one is, obviously, we know about his scoring opportunity, but I always thought he had quite a good technique and, and he could score big. So um, it's been a wonderful career. As you said, he's, he's one of our greatest openers. Uh, another one who just accelerates the game, like a genuine match winner up the top. Opposition bowlers fielded him, uh, feared him. He does have the opportunity for me that if he gets runs in these next two tests, um, his career just progresses in my mind. The problem is if he fails twice, um, India, he averages 24. England, he averages 26. Um, you know, history's against him doing well in those um, in those countries. Mm. And then also long-term, him and Usman, both 36, um, you don't want them to go at the same time. So you've got to stagger 
um, their exits, exits, and obviously no one's pushing Usman, who's averaging close to 100 this year. So there's plenty of questions. But, you know, for me, I want his 100th test to be a celebration of his career, get him runs and, and extend his career. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd very much love to see that. What about South Africa? I wonder, Fleem, if they look at, you know, maybe dropping a bowler like Ngidi, bringing in a marker, like an extra bat, because I think they need the depth and, and perhaps relying on, you know, three quicks and more overs out of Maharaj. Well, funny enough, you said Markham, who everyone rates. He's not on this tour. He's been dropped. So well, I thought was, he was on the play. Uh, so he's not even on the tour. I thought he was in the broader squad. No, okay, my mistake. Yep. He got five. No, no, no. But I, Well, most of us thought that as well. Yeah. I think he's got five test hundreds. And looking at that top um, five, you know, um, we're not seeing a lot of test hundreds there. So, yeah, it does. It just the batting looks thin, doesn't it? Yeah, Anton at number um, seven. Um, and Nagidi probably looked the less um, less potent of their fast bowlers. Um, so I, I, I'd be certainly looking to, to play the extra batter if I was South Africa. Um, I think there's 20 wickets in um, in the other quicks. They, they'll look really yeah. good. Um, sure. Yeah, they're going to bowl well in Australian conditions. So, yeah. yeah, agree. I reckon extra batter. One more before I let you go, Flem. Poor John Wells is going to see this in the highlights real time and time again. Your shoulder arms, the ball clatters into the stumps. Have you ever left a ball and been bowled? Yeah, SCG, uh, when it was a raging turner, let, let an off spinner go, crashed in the stumps. There's always a lot of laughter. Um, oh. And you just get your, you get yourself off as quick as possible, don't you? <laughs> you know, it's, somebody reminded, I just had a look to our, our colleague Simon Caddish's debut, remember that, no one. 15 and then shouldered arms to one by Goffey that came in and, and rattled middle. Yeah. Uh, happens to the best of us. Looking forward to Boxing Day, mate. Uh, all the best. We'll catch you on the call with Jared and the team. Come on, Aussies. Thank you. Good on you, Flem. Here is Damien Fleming, 0457 736 736. Uh, Greenkeeping Rooster. What I would do with Dave Warner, give him a farewell test in Sydney, bring in Matt Renshaw for India and England, give him those two as a chance to cement his spot in the team. Thank you, GKR. Breaking back with more. Julian King of the Chair, SEN Mornings. Warren of the text line proves that misogyny is live and well. Go away, Warren. Uh, Charles in charge. Hello. Hello. Um, and hello, everyone. Again, now this is uh, this latest controversy corner is on the back of, I think, James from Hornsby, who was having a bit of a dig at Camp Green, and that's absolutely fine. Um, I have similar feelings, but I think he should still remain in the test squad and in the test side. I'm just just for his gully catching, Cam. His gully catching is fantastic, and he's you know he's tall, you know, 200 centimeters. You know, you need that safety. Our in, second in best gully team. fielder after Ashley Mallet. May rest in peace. I think Mike Hussey was a was a yeah, exceptional gully yeah, fielder. Yeah, Steve Wall was good. You know, it was good. Doesn't get talked about. Swampy Jeff Marsh, wonderful hands in the gully. Mm. Yeah, and uh, but but Cam Green, the, the current gully fielder, excellent. I'm just I'm losing a little bit of patience with him. I just want him to have that really big innings that blows everyone away. It'll come. And it'll come. I'm a massive fan. But uh, what James said to replace him with Marcus Stoinis. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Marcus Stoinis. I'll preface that. But I'm just going to go through the numbers in white ball. So in one day, as 57 matches, 1,296 runs at 28.8. 100, 650s, and a high score of 146 are not out. And that was in his second one day in 2017 in New Zealand. So nearly six years ago. And in his second match to find his last ton in uh, one-day cricket, even white ball cricket, he's also got 37 wickets at 44.51 average, a strike rate of 44.7 with the best 
bowling figures of 3 for 16. Now, in addition to his batting, his last 50 was 52 versus India in 2019. That was during the World Cup. His last 26 innings in one dayers, 19 innings under 20, including four ducks. Now, moving on to T20s, he's got 51 matches, 803 runs at 29.74, two fifties with a high score of 78, 18 wickets at 34.11, a strike rate of 23.7, best bowling of three for 34. And his last two big bash innings, Golden Duck versus the Thunder and a two-ball duck he versus COVID, the Hurricanes. Yeah, I get that. Had, co- had COVID, but I mean, you don't have to play if you have COVID. So, so you what you're telling me is that you don't think he's a man who's getting better? No. He's the wrong side of 30 no, now, Marcus Stewart. Not at all. Yeah. I think he's reached his ceiling, and I think that was pretty early on in his white ball career. Right. And I just haven't seen any justification to why he's still in the white ball side. I think he was. he's a fantastic player. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think he's... Excellent, but I, I just think we've stuck with him for so long and he's just middled out. He hasn't done really anything. When was the last time he had a match-winning knock, do you reckon? Don't know. Yeah. It, 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 normally, in a player like that, who's everyone claims is a match when he can bat, he can bowl, he hasn't really bowled that much anymore. He's more. He's definitely more of a, a batter than anything else, and he hasn't really provided a match-winning okay. knock. Well, I'm pleased to say Marcus Dornis will be our guest on the program. That No, he won't. <laughs> we should get him on tomorrow. Thank you, mate. We'll take a break. Back with more. <laughs> you know how I see. Ah, we're going to rugby league markets. No AFL, Chad. This is very... Cheeky on the text line. Jules, what do you think of the AFL rule changes for 2023? <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm going to do a massive editorial out of 11 o'clock uh, Eastern time or 10 o'clock in Queensland. I shan't be doing that. Stewie says, no batsman, no matter how bad, could ever make Jimmy Higgs look good. Yeah, he was a shocker. He was a shocker. Bruce Reed was probably the worst I'd seen. I think he averaged about four in test cricket, Bruce Reed. Wonderful left arm quick, though. Wonderful player. Um, driving past the studios now, mind you, this was in the first hour of the program. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a great New Year. Thank you. Likewise, Merry Christmas to everyone. I'm on air tomorrow, same shift. Then I'm doing 12 to 3 Sports Central on Saturday. And then I can officially, officially wish everybody a Merry Christmas. And tomorrow, we're going to talk a few recipes on the program. Of course, we'll talk plenty of cricket and sport as well. But uh, I want some pork crackling recipes. So think about that. And anything else you can think of it for Christmas Day that doesn't involve cooking, maybe just prawns. My wife likes the prawns, but mango, mango with a bit of chilli. Wonderful combination. Mango and chilli. It's very Australian. It's very modern Australian. Now, we've got a break for news. In the next hour of the program, I'm going to talk a bit of racing with Chris Nelson, form analyst from SEN Track. And Mark C. Scott, senior lecturer at uh, Victoria University, is going to come on board to talk about the media rights deal for cricket. The next round of broadcast rights deal, Ben Horn in the Telegraph today, suggesting Channel 9 might be a serious player. Uh, wonder how serious they are. $1.5 billion potentially is the offer from Tenant Paramount, but they're lukewarm about that. Uh, he's covered this extensively. We'll get his thoughts on that. And plenty more after the news. One hour to go, SEN Mornings with Julian King over summer. Yeah, welcome back to the final hour of the program. Julian King and the Chair on SEN Mornings. Uh, happy to take your calls. one three hundred oh one eleven seven. You've got a busy final hour coming up shortly. I'm going to talk cricket broadcast rights with Mark C. Scott. He's a senior lecturer in screen media at Victoria University. He's been following this issue very, very closely. And Chris Nelson, 
The track analyst for SEN Track ahead of some Brisbane racing this weekend. Big bash action tonight, as you might have heard in your news bulletin. Sydney Six is their 0-2 at the moment. So the last year's finalists need to get their skates on. They're taking on the Hobart Hurricanes. It was a great win too last night for the Renegades. They were 4-9 for nine at one stage and they eventually triumphed over the heat thanks to six sixes off the blade of Andre Russell. So another final over run chase in the 12th edition of the Big Bash. Three of the last four games have been decided in the 20th over with last night's game ending in the 19th. And they need competitive games of cricket, the Big Bash, because when it comes to cricket broadcast rights, and Channel 7 have made their disappointment known, is that this is one element of the game which, in their opinion, has not delivered. And there are reports by Ben Horn in The Telegraph today that Channel 9 has emerged as a shock 11th hour contender to reclaim cricket's TV rights as Channel 7's hopes fade. And all the while, it's understood Cricket Australia bosses remain well nervous about partnering with Network 10 and Paramount. And that's despite a reported $1.5 billion offer. So it's big, big money, bigger than the last round. And that's due to Chen's perceived poor ratings and Paramount's streaming issues. Dr Mark C. Scott, a lecturer in screen, uh, in screen media, I should say, at Victoria University. It's great to have him on the line again right now. Mark, good morning. Good morning. You know, it's always interesting, isn't it? We've been reminiscing about the 40-year partnership between the Nine Network and cricket, you think about the great voices, the soundtrack of Summer and Richie Beto and Bill Laurie and Ian Chappell and Tony Gregg. So, so let me ask you, how serious do you think this, this bid is from nine? Or is it, I suppose, like the AFL when they came in with that last-minute bid, is it a play to maybe drive up the price so to get your rivals to pay more? Uh, I mean, I mean, it could be to drive up the price, but I think, you know, there's, there's probably an itching, I guess, from nine to go back into cricket. And you mentioned some of the great history that they have around cricket, um, you know, for those 40 years. So it's really hard to tell. There's so many elements within a broadcast media rights for any any code, uh, and cricket just seems to be the one that's coming up now in a in a very um, unstable media landscape. I would say. Yeah, unstable's the word. But if they were to get it, I mean. Looking through the crystal ball, how how would nine then potentially juggle the cricket rights with the Australian Open? Yeah, and that's part of it. Um, it's whether nine also links in with Foxtel, and I, I would assume that would probably go ahead as well. And as you mentioned, seven aren't happy with the Big Bash, and there are questions around whether there are too many games for the Big Bash. I think it's about sixty games at the moment. Yeah. So it's whether they'll pull back on some of those, and that might allow them to have the tennis and the cricket at the same time. Could we potentially see a situation where you you flog off the test matches, for example, to one network and the Big Bash to another, as we saw previously when 10 had the Big Bash? Yeah, I guess the problem when you segregate a code is how many you're going to get viewing across those multiple flat platforms, and that's always the issue that comes about. Um, we've seen that happen with the NFL in the US. To give you an example, Amazon Prime just paid $10 billion for... Uh, 10 years, and it's only every Thursday night game. Mm. But what that means is the, the fans have to have access to all of those broadcast platforms, and that can be a bit of an issue as well. How important is streaming? So do we have the breakdown? Are, are more viewers now consuming their sport via streaming as opposed to free-to-air? It's not necessarily more, but it's adding to the, the overall audience. We've seen a report with the BBC who got massive numbers for the World Cup from streaming and broadcast. So having both is essential nowadays, where previously it was, oh, we'll give the broadcast to someone and we'll give the streaming to another another partner. It doesn't really matter. But now it's really part of 
those broadcast rights, it has to be both. And the issue with Nine and Foxtel getting it is obviously Nine also owns Stan, mm. and that has a sporting element to it as well. Um, and Foxtel obviously has KO. So there's just so many pieces to the puzzle. Is there a benefit to incumbency when it comes to broadcast rights, do you think? Um, I'm not sure if there's if there's any positive to that. It's just, you know, they really have to have a crystal ball because most of these rights are going to be for another seven years. And we've already seen the massive changes across the media landscape in the past five years. So it's it's an issue of them trying to work out what's the best approach for the code. And also considering that just because you get a lot of money for a broadcast rights doesn't mean they're going to market the game the best as well. And that's another issue they need to consider if they're going for someone like Paramount+. Plus. Well, that's interesting. I want to talk about that. Reportedly offered $1.5 billion. This is Channel 10 of Paramount for, for the next seven years for exclusive rights. Now, the last time it came around, and eventually Channel 7 and Foxtel won the bid, I think it was, what, $1.2 billion over six years. Uh, Channel 10 came in then with a big bid, and they said, we'll put everything on free-to-air. But again, uh, in yep. fact, they almost felt insulted by by Cricket Australia administration at the time for not giving them uh, due consideration. So so what are the concerns here? And are, are these concerns founded about the fact that, you know, nine and seven seem to be industry leaders in terms of ratings, whereas 10 seem to be dropping off the perch a little bit? And, and likewise, the issues that Paramount Plus currently has with its streaming services, are, are those concerns and fears genuine and are they founded? I think they are in terms of Paramount. It's only a new platform and so it really hasn't had a grounding to see where it's going to go in Australia. The benefit could be um, the option to present those rights internationally and get the game across you know, um, various countries. The issue with that is uh, Cricket Australia already has a contract with Disney to broadcast all Australian games uh, into India. So there's not only the local rights, but there's international rights that could come to play as well. Um, so yes, there, there are some concerns around where Channel 10 is sitting at the moment and what benefit it may bring to the game. A lot of people have suggested that the 50-over format of the game, Mark, is on life support, and part of the reason being is that it's now buried behind a paywall. You know, do you think there's a link between you know, visibility and participation in the sport? And that's, Is that a consideration too for Cricket Australia when they consider who to award yeah. the broadcast rights to? I think it has to be part of the consideration because... Australia is not well known for having a high level of pay TV subscribers, unlike the US and the UK, where we saw numbers of 50% to 80% of households having pay TV. Mm. Um, in Australia, we're, we're not getting anywhere above, you know, really 30%. That's even when we include things like KO. So we, we are still reliant on free-to-air broadcasting, um, but the, the issues are around, you know, money for the code that it can reinvest and then also getting eyeballs in front of the game the other part of this puzzle is really the anti-siphoning laws in Australia, um, and they're they're being discussed at the moment as well. So there could be changes for those. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, and this is a loophole. I think the last time we spoke, I said, yes, okay. Well, you're a free-to-air network in this case, nine or, or ten, and you think, okay, bid for the rights, you're going to screen it, but then they could potentially. There's nothing currently stopping them from then burying content behind a paywall like Paramount or, or Stan Sports. Yeah, or potentially selling it off. So the anti-siphoning laws is more about giving free-to-air broadcasters the first opportunity to bid to certain games and certain sport. After that point, it can still go to subscription or pay TV services. So it's only a first little hurdle. It's it's not necessarily going to prevent it happening. 
You know, it's often said in sporting circles that a CEO's legacy is defined by how much they can extract out of a broadcast rights deal. Do you think there'd be a benchmark figure for Cricket Australia over, over say, a seven-year cycle in terms of what's acceptable or not? Because my understanding is uh, the first round of offers, they sent them all back and said this this is insufficient in terms of money. But maybe that's just part of a, a back-and-forth, you know, sort of haggling or negotiation process. But do you think there'd be a, a benchmark figure? Surely they'd want more than what they got last time. They definitely want more because it's going from 2023-24 season for another potentially seven years. So it definitely has to be more. Um, the other consideration, I guess, that they have to have is around that marketing opportunity and what they can do for that. Uh, and, and that's probably the biggest play on their mind is how do we not only you know utilise the broadcast rights, but how do we continue to grow the game? Because in Australia now, we do have a number of other codes that we haven't had previously. A-League, for example, is starting to build up. Um, and so it's fighting against multiple codes now. You know, it's interesting. Channel 9, they, they sort of, they wanted it, but they didn't want it badly enough. And they got this, it's always, you remember last time, Channel 9 and 7 swaps, and then, you know, 7 who had the tennis gave it to 9, and, and the 9 who had the cricket eventually ceded to Channel 7. And they'd lost money over that last cycle. The networks actually make money from the exorbitant amount that they pay for sports broadcast rights? Or is it a case of, well, you take the loss, but but make it up elsewhere by, I guess, having your channel parked on seven or nine or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it can work both ways. Sometimes uh, it depends on what's happening with that season. And I guess the other issue here is the games at the moment with the test haven't been great when you're trying to develop some, some media rights. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's a bit of a a bit of a to and a fro, I think, between the broadcasters and Cricket Australia and, and what's going to happen with that. Be a fascinating watch. Uh, I won't get you to look into the crystal ball. Uh, we talked about incumbency, perhaps not as strong as we thought it was, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see where Cricket Australia pivot in terms of this. I mean, people, uh, it's funny, people I speak to, Mark, still think of nine as the home of cricket. It's not because so many people are not necessarily consuming it via free-to-air, but even, despite that 30% number you gave, you know, a lot of people I know that are watching it on Fox and KO, so it remains to be seen. But uh, we'll be fascinated to see uh, eventually where it ends up. Thank you for your time. No worries. Thanks. And here is uh, Dr. Mark C. Scott. He is a senior lecturer in screen, me- screen media at Victoria University. Can you see it going back to nine? 1.5 bill over seven years. But what he said there, that, yeah, in terms of uh, the unreliability with regards to its streaming services there in Paramount, that they are not unfounded, those fears that Cricket Australia have, despite assurances by the 10 Network and Paramount. Yeah, new technologies, this is what we're going to bring to the game. And this is why you think about Rupert Murdoch with with the NFL rights all those years ago. And David Hill, the great Australian administrator, went into the room, the boardroom with all the NFL executives, he said, we're going to have all these cameras, all these microphones, games like you've never seen it before. You'll hear every hit. You'll hear flesh on flesh. And they were blown away. They were blown away. So if they want it, they're going to have to do a lot more to wrest it from Channel 7, despite the fact that Channel 7 are currently challenging Cricket Australia in their deal in federal court. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. Um, how good are sports pushing the TV money back into the sport? A lot seems to go in the exec bonuses. Maybe, maybe. You're talking about grassroots reinvestment. Look, I don't think we'll ever see the accurate breakdowns, but participation is the key for any sport in this country. As kids hardly watch live sport, what will happen to future sports TV rights? 
Well, streaming services will be a major player. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Love to hear your thoughts too on the open line. We'll take a break on the other side of that. We're going to talk a bit of racing with Chris Nelson. Yeah, Jules with the in Summer Mornings, 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. Can you see the cricket going back to the Nine Network? If they did, would you know, last time they had it, they'd, they'd sort of bring Bill out for every Boxing Day. You know, he's getting on, Bill. He's in his 80s now, but imagine that. Billy Morris Boxing Day. As I said to Damien Fleming last hour, can you imagine Bill Laurie having called Scotty Boland on his debut? Would have blown the roof off the joint. Yeah, and happy to take your calls, one 300 1170 Let's chat a bit of racing on the program now with our great mate Chris Nelson from SEN Track. We've got a big 10 race card at Randwick coming up on the weekend. Some good ones too in Doom and as we eye off the magic millions in three weeks' time on the Gold Coast is on the line right now. G'day, Chris. Good morning, Julian. How are you this morning? Mate, I'm going very well. Uh, just remember, you know, Bill Laurie back in the day. Can you picture that? You just imagine it. Yes. You know, just That's screaming, good. oh, Bowler's got... Oh, it'd be brilliant. That'd be brilliant. You know, he's, he's one of those few, isn't he, that just makes you run in from the next room. Uh, I think uh, I think I think I was saying this one the other day. The commentary team on, on Channel Nine they had their own identity, didn't they? And yeah, I think, they did. I think Billy Birmingham was probably responsible for that. But there was just there was just a, it was a great time to be watching cricket, wasn't it? Yeah, very great. So anyway, hopefully Australia can can wrap up this nameless trophy there in Boxing Day. And, and hopefully, too, it goes for, more than, <laughs> goes for more than two days. They say, you know, when the test goes five days. And then, oh, is it over already? Great. My wife gets me to do stuff around the house. So come on, boys. <laughs> That's no good. Lift. Okay, <laughs> racing. Rand, plenty of good racing on, uh, particularly, as I said, 10 race card in Randwick. And race one over 1,100 to the two-year-olds. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on this race because uh, it's so important from a, a Magic Millions uh, viewpoint. Uh, the Magic Millions favourite goes around in this race, and the race is three weeks away, of course, the two-year-old classic. Empire of Japan goes around here, as does the second favourite, Platinum Jubilee. So they resume. Uh, whether they'll run the week before the Magic Millions remains to be seen, but the market uh, will probably favour one or the other quite strongly after this race on Saturday. But they also go up against Godfather, who's also in the, uh, the Magic Millions uh, calculations as well. He's had one start, and he won well at Eagle Farm. So that is a that is a cracking race to open the day at Randwick on uh, on Saturday. I'm not going to try and tip one in the race, uh-huh. but I, I, okay. but I you need yeah. to do you need to watch it from future viewpoint. Yeah, because two year olds are always a bit of a lottery, as you know. But you said Empire in Japan. I wonder if it's worth worth laying if it there for Team Snowden. I'm just reading here, maybe maybe a bit of value in cat number three Cathay bracelet, but uh, we shall wait and see. You don't buy number two uh, race number two over eighteen hundred. Well, yeah, there is one here that I do like. Uh, now, this horse has been racing up my way, trained by Chris Waller, and I speak of Logan Street Lion, number three. The one thing that he needs is a bit of ground. Now, he gets that here on Saturday. He has accepted for the Doombin meeting as well, which is 1,600 metres, but I'd prefer to see him go around here. 1,800 metres is what he's looking for, and he gets the services of J-Mac jumping on board from cool. gate number one. So he's got the right jockey, the right gate. He gets the extra trip. Hard to tip against him. Yeah, yeah, the five-year-old gilding, Logan Street line. He'd probably get him about four or five bucks too, so, so plenty of value yeah. uh, there. And we'll skip ahead to now, Chris, to race number eight over 1,800 metres. Yeah, just one here. Sorry, 1,200, 1,200. It's not 1,800, okay. my apologies. That's all right. It's another one to keep our eye of. It's come out of uh, Queensland, and the mayor's name is Sunshine in Paris, race eight, number 14. She's only had two starts. 
Uh, she won a maiden at Can- in Canberra. She won that very impressive. And she went straight to a listed race up here at Doombin. And she ran third behind a stroll and chitty boom. And she was really finding the line strongly there. Uh, had the race been run a little bit faster in front, <clears throat> excuse me, I think there's a chance she might have run home over the top of them. So she's been scratched a couple of times since. Hopefully she's not scratched Saturday. I think she'll go really close to winning that sunshine in Paris. Race 8, number 14. I like the name too. Uh, Chris Waller's got pretty wild, uh, pr- reasonably short. Uh, can, can you just give me a quick tip or quick thought on uh, Anna Gain from the Joe Pride stables? I'm looking for the horse. What number is Number it? 13. Sorry, mate. To number 13. Yeah. That's all right. I've got that many pages here. Anna Gain, <laughs> first up run. First up run was quite good. Uh, that was behind Iona Merck. Now got back in the field that day and, and from a, an awkward sort of gait. Uh, ended up wide pretty much most of the way. So I think we'll take a lot of improvement off that run. Second up record's good. Two starts for two placings. So, yeah, wouldn't rule it out. But I'm going to favour mine, Julian. I'm yeah. going to favour Sunshine in Paris. Yeah, I'm going to write that down, number 14. Beautiful. All right, let's have a look at Doombin, Chris, starting with race two. Yeah, I like one here. Greek hero, race two, number two, down in class. So he went around last week at Eagle Farm and finished off the race really well, the end of 1800. 2,000 metres on Saturday. I know he goes up uh, severely in the weights, the 60 kilos, but he's a horse that won with 62 and a half, five starts back. He carries weights, no problem. So the weight isn't the issue. The fact that he drops in grade is the big, big positive and the step up in distance. So I think Greek Hero can get us off to a, a good start reasonably early in the day. Race two, number two. Might have to get producer Charles to back that one because he has laid the boot into Marcus doing us on the program today. So one of those <laughs> ironic. Greek hero, race two, number two, and the second at Doombin. What about in race three? Uh, West of Africa here, one for uh, Annabelle Nisham, a lightly raced, uh, lightly raced colt he is. He's only had the six starts for two wins. He went around up here in some strong races over the winter carnival, and he was just sort of so-so. He didn't set the world on fire, didn't place, but he's come back a different horse this time in. His first up win at Warwick Farm was good. His second up, second at Eagle Farm, was very good last start. He really hit the line strongly there at the end of 1,400. So up he goes to 1,600 metres on Saturday. His jockey, Brody Lloyd, will probably take him right back from that outside gate and save him up for one crack at them in the straight, and I can see him just mowing them down. And the outside fence. Yeah, my kind of finishing too. So Doombin race three, like West of Africa and the fifth in Doombin. Well, I just sort of touched on this one as well. Another two-year-old race, uh, the McLaughlin Stakes, a quarter of a million dollar race. This is a very important Magic Millions lead up also. You can make a case for just about any horse in the race. Uh, first starter from the Snowden team, uh, Godzilla. Trials have been good. Uh, I think 1,200 metres on debut is perfect. But I'm going to go with one here at a bit better value, and it's number four, Works. Again, for Annabelle Nisham. One start for a fifth at Eagle Farm behind Godfather. Uh, it's, so the punters out there will know what I'm talking about. The sectionals home were just about as good as the winner. And for a horse that really never got into the clear, that was a very, very good effort. I think it opened up around $31, and it's certainly not $31 now. So have something, race five, number four, Works. A bit of value there, race five, number four. Okay, mm-hmm. so the ones we've looked at today, Chris, before we let you go, who, who's your best? My best would probably be West of Africa, okay. race three, number three at Doombin. Yeah. Doombin, race three, number three, West of Africa, over the mile. Thank you, Chris. We've written all those down. Happy punting. We'll speak soon. And a Merry Christmas, too. Uh, yeah, you too, Julian. All the best to you and yours and, and all the listeners. Appreciate that. There he is, Chris Nelson from SEN Track. So, West of Africa. You want a little dabble? Doombin race three on the weekend west of Africa. But even in the 50s, says works at a bit of value. So might have a, a flutter on that as well. 0457 736 736.
is the text line number. Stuart says, uh, what the majority of the Sixers need, yeah, because they're playing tonight against the Hurricanes, are a new birth certificate. They're mostly over the hill. Don't say that. You'll upset our good mate Socky, 38 years young. Steve Smith said to me only a couple of months ago, he's the best spinner in the Big Bash, Steve O'Keefe. And the worst thing I did was say that to Steve O'Keefe because now he's got a massive head. A massive head. A head the size of his backside. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, Socky. Uh, Jules says, Simo, Simo sent this in the first hour, and I, you're a mad Tigers fan. Simo. I would love to experience again the unbridled joy of the Tigers beating Saints in the 2005 qualifying final. Oh, that was a shocker. That was a shocker. Of course, that was the same day where the Swans had defeated West Coast. Remember that well? One point. Sorry, was that? No, three points, and they lost by one point a year later. That atmosphere was next level. I know I was there. The arrogance of the Dragon supporters is overwhelming. That was our year. Pardon me, Simo. That was our year. What a sight. But I keep coming back. It was only eight points in the end. Yes, it was a bit of Benji magic. Trent Barrett makes a break, gets tackled, thought he had a marker, got up to play. Whistle blows. Penalty. Penalty. Now they just say go back and play it. They had all the momentum. You know, it swings and roundabouts. What could have been? But well done to the Tigers. It was a magical year. And, you know, I like the Tigers. It was very, very special because they came from the clouds to win the Comp in 05. I was actually at that grand final too. I was probably at about uh, almost near the 20-metre line with Benji and the break and the little flick to Pat Richards, pretty magic. And I also saw, was it Paul Bowman? The mistake of the end goal. It had destiny written all over it for you Tigers fans. Thank you. Uh, Skip from Robertson, how did I miss this? Because I said, you know, Jimmy Higgs, shocker. Bruce Reed, probably the worst bat I've seen. Totally forgot about Chris Martin. And the other Chris, we mentioned both Chris Martins on the program today, Alex, haven't we? Chris Martin from Coldplay, talking about the conscious uncoupling between St. George and Illawarra. Chris Martin, the key with the worst stick around, Jules, I swear he was blind. Yeah, he was a shocker. He was seriously bad. I've almost, you know what, I had this discussion with my brother. I said, if you trained every day in the nets for the good part of a year, do you reckon you could end up batting better than Chris Martin? I reckon you're half a chance. I'm going to bring up his stats after the news headlines. Just having a look at Chris Martin's figures. 104 innings, high score of 12 not out at an average of 2.37. 2.37. His highest score, by the way, 12 not out in 2008, the 4th of January 2008. Unbeaten 12 against Bangladesh at University Oval. I can also tell you that he's faced only 615 balls in 104 innings. <laughs> he's had 52 not outs, 123 runs is his aggregate. Average, as I said, 2.37. 36 ducks. 36 ducks. Chris says if you go to YouTube, you can find Chris Martin doing a batting tip segment. Is that you, Chris Martin? He's texted in. Uh, but he's third on the all-time list for most ducks, Chris Martin. So Courtney Walsh has the most, 43 ducks, but from 132 innings. Uh, Stewie Broad, 39 ducks from a mammoth 232 innings. He's played 159 test matches. But having said that, 30, so second most amount of ducks in history, Stuart Broad. He's also got a test 100. 169 is highest score. Then fourth on the list, 35 ducks for Glenn McGrath. So one behind Chris Martin. Then uh, Warney and Ishan Sharma, 34. Murali, 33. Jimmy Anderson, 31. Zahi Khan, 29. And Mervyn Dillon, uh, 26. And down the list it goes. So there, Chris Martin. Yeah, he comes in from behind Bunny. Yeah, Mike Whitney did this great sort of impersonation. Uh, you know, he's talking about Viv Richards. He said, why would you spread the field when Mike Whitney's batting? He said, this guy comes in after Bunny, he's a ferret. He's a ferret. He's that bad. Charles in charge back in the studio. Hello, Chuckles. Hello, I'm back. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I know what that uh, text was referring to, that Chris Martin batting technique. It was a satirical uh, skit in New Zealand. And Chris Martin genuinely 
thank goodness he was a pretty decent bowler. Genuinely could not hold the stick. It was horrible. He was so bad. So he would make Bruce Reed look like Bradman. Or Jimmy Higgs yeah. look like Bradman. Yeah, he'd make me look like Bradman. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm a, a terrible batter. Bring up a compare and contrast. Bruce Reed, Jim Higgs. Anyway, I'm going to look yeah. up those stats while you regale us with something controversial. Yeah, and it has to do with the uh, the cricket rights. Um, I, I think from all, all accounts, Seven is looking to dish it off. I, for the life of me, I couldn't understand why Channel 9 and Channel 7 just did the old switcheroo and you know took the Australian Open from Channel 7 to Channel 9 and vice versa with the cricket. I think if uh, Channel 9, and by all reports, we just had Mark C. Scott on, who was had a fascinating chat with you just now, Jules, is that... Channel 9, by all reports, is pretty keen on having the cricket back. And I think a lot of people would be pretty keen on seeing the cricket back on Channel 9. So I propose that if the, that deal were to go through, then once, um, or maybe when they get it, that Channel 9 propose a deal with Channel 7 that after you know their, their contract expires with the tennis or maybe even during the tennis, that they work something out to have sport um, have the Australian Open on Channel 7 or, or another partner because what I don't want to see is a monopoly. I don't want to see Channel 9 hold all of the summer sport or Channel 7 yeah. then get the rights to the, to the rugby league, for example, then have full control over the winter sport. We need to have sport spread out across the networks. Channel 10 has in Paramount has the A-League. Uh, Channel 7 has the AFL. Channel 9 has rugby league. Just got to work out what to do there because if Channel 9's bid is serious, which I believe it is, then you're going to have one broadcaster have the two major sporting events of the summer. The Australian Open, which gets a lot of eyeballs on, not just from Australia, but mm. internationally, and the cricket, which always does numbers no matter what. Well, it's interesting. And now the fortunes to the Channel 9 or the Australian Open ratings, now that Barty's gone, rest with Kyrgios. So if he mm. loses in the first round, you watch their numbers tank. It'll be okay. It'll be okay, but they are the key ratings drivers, are Australians going deep in the Australian Open. How they juggle that with their fir- their primary channels, their secondary channels, and, of course, their streaming service, I don't know. Mark C. Scott mentioned that what would be problematic is if China 9 did get the bid, would they then partner up with Fox Sports, who'd pitch in, no doubt, a lot of money, a lot of money, because they need summer content, mm. right? And this is why they went hard with the cricket. They need that A-League, no more. They needed summer content to maintain and drive their subscription services, Fox and KO. So expect Fox to be a serious player. Um, but having said that, of course, Andy Sivening says that the free-to-air networks get first right. So in, in the background, 9-7, whoever it is, are probably making deals with Fox Sports. Making deals with Fox. So we'll see what happens. Uh, 1.5 bill, though. That is the offer from the 10 and Paramount partnership. Understandably, they've got concerns uh, given the unreliability and, and how problematic Paramount streaming service is at the moment because you can damage your brand. If people can't, and this is what we've seen, the reaction from the A-League fans. that pay all this money and it's, it's crap, it's dropping out, the angles are, are rubbish, you can't rewind. I mean, this is pretty basic stuff for 2022. Cricket will be well advised to steer clear of an amateur streaming service as it stands. But they've made assurances to Cricket Australia. You know what? No, this is going to be cutting-edge new technologies. You're going to have to take them on trust at this point. I think they should have gone with the 10-bid last time, albeit for a bit less. It wouldn't have had the billion-dollar mark, right? So Sutherland doesn't look as good. But one day, Cricket would have been on free-to-air. And then you think about what that transfers into. Down the track in terms of participation numbers, eyeballs is this term we hear a lot. You know, it's not all about figures. You've got to look long, long-term beyond that six-year broadcast cycle. Yeah, and and what's... um. 
do with the UK. I don't think they've had free-to-air cricket on since the well, 05 Well, Ashes, this is right? the thing. I mean, and at the peak of its powers, cricket, a wonderful, you know, one of the great, arguably the greatest series in Ashes history. Andrew Flintoff heroics, and then they bury it behind a paywall. Yeah. When they should be capitalising on that success, and they would have driven huge, huge participation numbers. It was massive. And then cricket fell off a cliff as a result of that. Cricket Australia can't afford to do the same thing. No. Yeah. Now, fun fact, says Jace. Coldplay wrote the hit song, Fix You, after seeing Chris Martin bat. Very good. <laughs> How did that song go, Fix You? You Coldplay fan? I'm, I'm a Coldplay fan. Are you? Yeah. yeah they're one of those, eh, all right, like uh, I don't hate them. Can, can, people bag them out. They're not fun. Can, it, it was yeah. that, that great comedian who said, if I could be anyone in the world, I'd be the drummer from Coldplay. Because you're rich as hell and nobody knows nobody who knows you are. You know, yeah, you know, are. It's a very, very good point. Come on, Charles says, John Seven would still have Sydney Hobart. <sighs> Do you watch? Who watches Sydney Hobart? My dad does. Does he really? Yeah. Could I could couldn't think of anything more boring and a bit of careful what I say here than to watch yacht racing on television. Yeah, I'd, yeah. like Dad's also a massive cricket fan, so he'll do both. He'll have the but but what he'll do during the cricket is that he'll, you know, toggle the channels to have a watch. You know, the updates to Sydney to Hobart, and I just could not care less. It looks like paint drying. The only aquatic racing I would watch is during the lunch break at the cricket where they had the skiffs. Back in the day. So they'd either put on the 10-pin bowling or they put the skiff. So, oh, Nokia and Prudential. Does anybody remember that? Do you remember the skiff racing that they'd played during the lunch break of the cricket? Now you have the cricket show and it's, you know, non-stop highlights and the rest of it and reviews. But they used to cut to the skiff racing and the 10-pin bowling. Bring back the bowling and the skiffs, I say. Are you with me? 0457 736 736. John, again, on Paramount, I call BS if they promise the A-League the world and not deliver their service and set up for live streaming. Well, that's it. Like I said, you take it on trust. Stuart, if Channel 9 gets the rights, what stops from 9 putting cricket on stand? Uh, nothing. Nothing. That's the thing, and they could charge you 10. But they won't. They'd be foolish to do it because they'll destroy their brand in the process. They wouldn't put it all, but they might They might put the one days on. Stan, I don't know. Because at the moment, what does Stan really have outside of the rugby? Not a lot. Not a lot. So it wouldn't surprise me. That is a loophole in the anti-siphoning laws at the moment, yes. They have the tennis. They get Wimbledon, uh, US Open as well. Yeah, sorry, good point. Yeah, good point. <laughs> if that if that's your thing, I, I do a stand sport and I, I do enjoy it, but I'm also just an unabashed rugby fan as but well. But I, I don't have it as a streaming mm. service. Is it reliable? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's it's just like Ko, just mm. on a different platform. Okay. Um, I don't have Paramount, so I can't attest to its efficacy or anything like that. Well, Alex is a Mad A-League fan and one of our uh, world game aficionados here at the network. Alex, the Paramount, your experience. Morning, gents. Uh, It has improved slightly from last season to this, only in terms of the turnaround of the BVOD stuff. So stuff you're looking for on demand after the fact. But you're right, it doesn't have any of those simple functions. And the service has been streaming. There was one game, there was one round earlier this season but they actually had to put games on YouTube because the service had cut to CBS News, was running on all their streams of all That's the games. Right, there yeah. are still glitches like that all the time. It's not worth, if you are really, really not an A-League fan, it is not worth your money. Mm. But can I get Nickelodeon on? Uh, yes, you can. Sweet. Yeah, so you watch a Mickey Mouse Club or something, do you? That's that. Well, that's Disney, not Nickelodeon. And I think uh, I don't know what's a Nickelodeon. SpongeBob is that a Nickelodeon? Nickelodeon. I think uh, Top Gun Maverick has come out on Paramount Plus today. What a real draw! Have you seen it? I have seen it. It was very good. Brilliant. I still haven't seen it. Brilliant. Although uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talked about what would really happen to Tom Cruise going at like warp speed, and he said, Mm. "No, no, you can't just eject from a 
a vessel going that <laughs> well, wouldn't you? They're movies. They are movies. All right. Thank you, mate. 0457 736 736. Uh, Daisy. Thank you, Daisy. I'm get, slowly getting all these texts that filtered in the first couple of hours of the program. Re Warner passed it now. will look a lot worse over in India and in England. Be incredibly poor move to take him. Okay. What if he gets 100 in Melbourne and 100 in Sydney? I think regardless of his form, I reckon he's on the plane to India. England less so, but I reckon he's on the plane to India because a lot of them are untried. I'd have Renshaw on the plane. He's got a couple of 50s on those turning pitches. Remains to be seen. Stewart, 1999 grand final. You're talking about the Dragons. Mundine, do I pass a run? Ainsco, should I hit Smith around the head? Oh, yeah, we're talking about what moments would you like to have again? This is off the back of John, formerly John O'Wells, shouldering arms to a straight one. And getting involved. It's a shocker. Damien Fleming is here. Happened to me in Sydney. You just put your head down and get off the field as quickly as you Yeah, that was, for me, a big moment. And I can't bag Chock because without him, they're not in that grand final. I was at that prelim against Cronulla. He carved him up. Absolutely carved him. Do a par. Nine times out of ten. 99 times out of 100, he scores out. It was just one of those days. You know, maybe it wasn't meant to be. Ainsco, well, he had to hit Smith. Hit him around the head. There's two Craigs missing that game. It still gives me nightmares, and thank you so much for bringing that up. Marco, morning, Julian. I remember one Bill Laurie comment, the late Tony Gregg saying to Bill, there's another one of your records gone, Bill. Bill Laurie replied, yeah, some of us have got records to be broken, Tony. <laughs> uh, from Nanda. Yeah, beautiful. How great, weren't they? And he said, you know what? Pigeon racing a lot harder than test cricket. You might be right. Take a break. Their way back. Oh, boy. And she looked gorgeous. Bill, come on then, say something. He won't say anything. It's got to be a pigeon before he comments. You dig a hole, you filled up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what have I walked into? Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Yeah, Greg will be back shortly. He's just filling a hole at the moment. <laughs> Classic Channel 9 commentary. Let's talk about Channel 9 making a, a last-ditch bid for the next round of cricket broadcast rights. 0457 736 736. Hi, fellas, says Gaz. I like the one with Tony Gregg on someone, I think, uh, warning. Quote, yes, he's got, he's got, yes, he's got. It's, it's all the OTT stuff. A man who's understated in class, we love him here on the network, is the missile, James Magnuson, who has been given the reins for the afternoon program 12 to 3. This will be a fun ride. Hello, James. They went for the B team. They went for the C team, mm. the D team. Everyone's on holidays. Mm. So they ended up with me, 12 it, to 3. Was that the selection process and how you ended up being on SAS? Well, look, so, yeah. the way Coach K sold it to me was I've literally asked everyone else and nobody's available. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks for Where the vote of confidence. The... <laughs> well, can, can I just say that? Yes, so yesterday I was doing afternoons going nationally to Melbourne. So I did this, this massive quiz, Aussie sports yeah. quiz. And one of the categories, miscellaneous, I said, uh, uh, who claimed silver medal in the men's 100-metre freestyle? Australian, which Australian? Silver medal, men's 100-metre freestyle yeah, at the London question, Games right? by, you know, slenderest of margins, one one-hundredth of the second. Easy question. Uh, yeah, was it? Oh, good-looking rooster. And I thought, oh, they'll know this. He says, Eamon Sullivan. No. Oh, oh, straight in the heart. Outrage. And then, oh, mate, was it, uh, was it Kyle Chalmers? <laughs> it was not Kyle Chalmers. And eventually they Where'd had... Where'd you find this guy? They had, not from eventually the they had to so. Google it and they came up with you. Hey, speaking mm. of Kyle, King Kyle, it's a swim fest on your program this afternoon. He's going to be on the show, Jules. What are you uh, going to talk I believe, about? I believe the wonders of short door swimming. Yeah, short course swimming. Look, I'll, I'll first off, I'll list the topics we won't be talking about. Uh, pop stars, love triangles, 
breaststroke, uh, fifteen hundred freestyle. Mm, that, yeah, yeah, two hundred meter breaststroke, <laughs> like a world record holder, Rebecca Brown. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you met because it's never been talked about at all when it comes to cold charms and swimming. You know, love Trissa. My, oh, we had Gary on the phone earlier. He said, yeah. "I'm calling it now." He says, "I'm going to put my head on the chopping block." Matt Burton, Cameron Seraldo will go down as two all-time Bulldogs greats. Mm, Bold like statement. It. Bold statement. Do you conquer? Yeah, I, I concur. I think um, I think Burton is is already well on his way. Look, obviously, Serraldo's got a lot to prove as a head coach, but if the rumours are true, then we're on the right track. Um, that reminds me, also coming up on our show, we've got Terry Campisi, Raiders great. Uh, Labor candidate Labor now. Labor candidate wow. for Monaro. Okay. Do you know just... where Monaro is? Uh, yes. Someone yes. in the ACT. Yes. Yeah. Eden, Eden, Eden Monaro, people called it Eden Monero, was always what they said federally was the bellwether seat. Mm. Whoever held that seat held government. But uh, Terry Campisi, lovely hands. Didn't quite have the footwork of his, of his uncle. Do you remember he got in a stink once with Dean Young? Oh, yeah. That yeah, was a good one. That, yeah, Dino. Oh, Terry Campisi. I'm hoping his political career lasts longer than Mal Meninga's, which is not hard. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, not it's hard. already lasted longer, hasn't it? Yeah, just, it has. just by announcing it, it lasted it longer than, than Mal Meninga's. This is going to be a beauty. I'm going to have to be tuned in. Tell me, uh, I need to know to, what to speak to my listeners about. How much Dragon's rhetoric has been on this uh, Funnily hours? enough, uh, huge on breakfast, not as much this morning, despite okay. the fact I'm a Dragon's fan. So we might have to give that a rest for today. You know what yep. I spoke about yesterday? Whether people can drive manual cars. <laughs> can you drive a manual car? I can't. Oh, you are banished. What about you, Alex? <laughs> yeah, I own a manual car. Yeah. The, oh, see? wow. That's yeah. even rarer. You're I twice the man what, missile is. Why they still even produce them, particularly for city driving. You ever driven in the city in a manual and you're just lurching your way down George Street? Well, clearly Street. you haven't. <laughs> well. You, you bunny hop and ride the clutch and the rest of it. Mate, yeah, that's it. Uh, Looking forward to it. We'll catch you after midday. Saddle up. Merry Christmas, Jules. And you too, mate. There is James the Missile Magnuson. Tune in after midday. That is us done and dusted for this Thursday. Jules in the chair for SEN Mornings. Back to do it all again tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you so much for our guest today to Damien Fleming as we count down the sleeps to the second test boxing day at the MCG. Mark C. Scott, lecturer in Green Media Victoria University, uh, to have a look at this. Broadcast rights deal in Cricket Australia over the next seven-year cycle. Our Channel 9, a series player. Chris Nelson from SCN Track. Thanks to Charles in charge, our producer, for inundating us with stats and for putting the boot into Marcus. Poor Marcus Stoinis. Still recovering from COVID. Now he's got to put up with two buck chucks saying he's rubbish. Needs to retire from the game. In response to James, is saying he should be in the test team. He shan't be. Cameron Green will be there. Uh, thank you as well to Alex, the third banana seal mad rushing on the buttons today. Back to do it all again tomorrow. Stay tuned because after the news at midday in New South Wales, 11 o'clock in Queensland, the missile, James Magnuson, going to take you through the next three hours. His special guest on the program, Kyle Chalmers. Thank you, everybody. Uh, to all the text messages that I didn't get to read out, my apologies, but I am reading them personally. So Dom and Daisy and uh, Skip, thank you for your kind words and everybody else. Catch you tomorrow. Until then, have a great day. Bye-bye.